Hey, this is Sam for Dobbs. If you need tires, hop on our website, go to Dobbs.com. We'll save you time searching brands, sizes, and prices, and save you money because we sell tires at the lowest price in town, guaranteed. For deals you can use, click on go to Dobbs.com now. Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. Get ready for winter driving at Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers with super deals on tires, including up to $200 on new Goodyear tires, plus oil changes, brakes, batteries, and more. For value and savings, click on gotodobbs.com today. Time now for the BK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Flyers bring it in. Konechny shoots and scores. Comes down the near wing and beats Bennington glove side. Just like that. What seemed like a kind of innocuous rush up the ice. Konechny puts the Flyers on top, one nothing. Again, the Flyers create numbers coming in. They've got it, they shoot. That one's blocked, the rebound is scored. Port coverage all the way around on that play. And Brown's gonna put it in and the Flyers have taken a two nothing lead. Bring it in, drive the net, save made by Bennington. Nobody picks up the trailer and Hodgkins scores his first goal in the National Hockey League. Not enough from a lot of guys tonight, and the St. Louis Blues fall to the Flyers by a score of 5-2. to two. Yeah, I think uh, if you're looking for a way to summarize that game last night, Chris Kerber summarized it pretty well there. That's what it sounded like last night on your home for the Blues 101 ESPN. Alongside Alex Ferrario, I'm Tim. I'm Brandon Kiley, Tanner Hendrickson also Tanner along Hendrickson. for us. We're broadcasting live at the ENB Grand Studio out of the Centene Community Ice Center. Who, buddy? That was a rough one last night. The Blues lose 5-2 to two at home against the Flyers. They just played like crap, man, again. And one thing that I love that Jamie Rivers talks about on the fast lane, he's mentioned this when it comes to the fourth line, and specifically he was referencing guys like Dakota Joshua who came up and Craig Bruby told him exactly what he wanted out of those guys. And then they didn't do it. And I think we had another one of those moments last night. I was listening to your pregame show, Alex Ferrario, and Craig Berube had the coach's show. He was talking with Chris Kerber. Here's what he had to say about the Blues going into last night's game. This is pregame. You know, these teams that are out of the playoffs are dangerous and they have nothing to play for and they play loops. Um, so, you know, we got to go out and kill their will. That's got to be our mo- our mindset here. Go out and kill their will here right away in the game and, and tell them, make, make sure that they know it's going to be a long night. Yeah! That's the pump-up noise we need. Kill their will. Hashtag kill will. Kill Bill, Uma Thurman. You got it. Come on, keep going. He gave them the answers to the test. It was an open notebook test, and they failed again. And this is seeming to, seemingly becoming a theme for this team, Alex. I don't understand it. They had three shots in the entire first period. Three shots on goal. 
they looked like they were sleepwalking. They looked like they felt as if they could come out there, play their game, just roll out the hockey rink, and boom, here we go, boys. We're going to get a W because the Flyers stink. It's not how this works. They're pros out there. As much as the Flyers are not a good hockey team, you got to kill their will. Hashtag kill, kill will. Their will. No will. And they didn't do that. And I don't know what to make of this, man. The Blues now are 11-6-3 against the 10 worst teams in the league. Most of those wins came early in the season. They have not played nearly as well against the bottom 10 teams in the league over the last six weeks. It's been a consistent theme for them. I don't know what to make of it. You were out there last night. What did you make of it? About the same as you did, because I just did not understand what took place. I mean, that first period, it's funny. I was sitting next to Lou Korak of NHL.com before puck drop, and he leaned over to me and he said, this has all the makings of another disappointment. And I kind of looked at it, and I'm like, yeah, you're right. I mean, it felt like the New York Islanders afternoon game. It felt like the Ottawa Senators night game. It felt like the Montreal Canadiens shoot uh, overtime loss. It just felt like the Blues weren't ready to play. And to your point, and to Jamie Rivers' point of, like, you've got the answers to the test. Make it hard on this team in the first period. Make a team that has not won a road game in the year 2022 feel like that it's not going to happen tonight. Make a team that has not won in regulation on the road since December 11th feel like it's not going to be possible. You had the answers. It's been four and a half months since that team went on the road and won in regulation. But you know what's even more frustrating oh. about the fact that Craig Berube's telling you what you need to do? You saw the answers to the test. This exact same test was put in front of you against the Washington Capitals. You answered all of them correctly. You cheated. You saw the answers. You wrote them down and you aced it. And then the test came back against Philly. And look, I understand we're making it sound a lot easier. Props to Philly. Philly played a good game. Philly's got some guys who can beat you. Their goaltender made a couple of big saves. Those are excuses, though, because it's a Philadelphia Flyers team that you feel like you can be contending for a Stanley Cup, but you can't perform that way. So to answer your question, I don't know what the issue is here. And it's not just a one-off. It's a common theme that we've seen this season. Here we go. Let's hear from Craig Berube and Justin Falk, because if we don't understand it, Maybe the guys that are inside of that dressing room can explain it to us. Here's Craig Burby on the Blues and what they're doing right now. It's not just on the vets. It's on everybody. This time of year, we talk. We play well against good teams like in Wash the other night, and then we come home and we're playing against the Philadelphia Flyers. I don't know if it's arrogance or what it is, but you don't compete in a game. You don't work. You can, you can get embarrassed like we did tonight. Here's Justin Falk talking about it after the game. Everyone likes to score and get points and whatnot, and but we have to be committed to just playing a hard way of hockey, chipping pucks in, chipping pucks out, tough defensively, just being real stingy and, and not thinking that it's okay that we can score a bunch of goals. But, I mean, that that's just an overall theme and that we need to kind of clean up a little bit. I love Justin Falk's post-game comments last night. I, I really do. And if you didn't hear him, go back on the Blues website and listen to them all. But... He also said something following up with that of what we just heard. He's like, yeah, one nothing, 2-1, 3-2 games, they suck. They're boring. For goal scorers, those are the worst types of games because you don't want to be sitting on the bench watching your team chip pucks out of the zone and play in the neutral zone. You want to be showcasing the skill, showcasing the talent, weaving through outlet passes, sports center top 10 highlights. 
Those are boring games. But Justin Falk said those are also games that win you a Stanley Cup. You're not winning the Stanley Cup with the with the deke move through the neutral zone and then a breakaway like a Connor McDavid. Connor McDavid's not been close to a Stanley Cup. You win games the dirty way. You win ways. You win games by playing in the offensive zone, but not with skill, with work ethic. And that's what Craig Bruby continues to preach. I want to hear one more cut before I give you my my next statement. Here's Doug Armstrong on the Blues right now, what they're going through, how they're playing right now. I look against good teams. That Ranger game we played here at home might have been the best 10 minutes of hockey we played to start a game. We we played below the goal lines. We played below the hash marks. We made them play, turn around, and defend. And, you know, the shots were 10 to 1. And, and remember, who's had to make a saver was one nothing for them. Right. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I know. Yeah. On, on their first shot. But... Even if that goes in, you're okay because you know you've set the tempo and the template to have a good game. You know, I, I was there's I, I'm big into quotes, and uh, Bill Walsh had a quote. You know, uh, good talent with bad attitude is just bad talent. They're telling you both with their actions and with their words right now what's gone wrong. They don't trust certain guys, and certain guys aren't playing the way that Craig Berube and Doug Armstrong and frankly all of the veterans on this team. No, you have to play at this time of year. I love Jordan Kyrou. I think he's a tremendous hockey player. I think he is part of the future of this team and will potentially be involved in multiple big-time playoff runs for this team, not just this year, but in the future as well. Jordan Kyrou placed two shifts last night in the third period, was not on the ice for the final 14 and a half minutes. I like Ivan Barbashev. Some have called him the new engine of this team. Uh, you don't like Ivan Barbashev. You want to trade him. He wasn't that last night. They didn't trust him last night. He played just three shifts in the, in the third period. Wasn't on the ice in the final 13 minutes of the game. Played a total of eight minutes last night, man. There are certain guys on this team that, for whatever reason, have a disconnect with the style of hockey that Craig Berube is wanting them to play right now. And if Ivan Barbashev and Jordan Kairou can't get on the same page as the coaching staff, not just three out of five nights, we've heard this comment as well. They got to do it five out of five nights. And if they can't do that, this team cannot and will not win a Stanley Cup this year. It needs those guys. So this is one of those things where, like, sadly, there's not a whole lot of room for interpretation. The answer to this test is, if the Blues get more out of Jordan Kyrou and Ivan Barbashev and Robert Thomas and the young guys that they've been counting on all season long that have been hugely important for their success early on. And by the way, Pavel Buchnevich, I'm going to throw into this group as well. He's gone silent over the last seven or eight games. He's still a very good player, and I think he's going to be a hugely important piece to what they're doing down the stretch. If they don't get those guys going... They cannot and will not go on a cup run. They have to get them playing the style that they want to play. And how do you do that? You bench them. You bench them in the third period. And that's what they did last night. They benched Jordan Cairo and Ivan Barbashev, and they were going with Logan Brown and Alexi Toropchenko, guys who weren't even part of this roster were not playing a month ago. Those guys are getting significant ice time in the third period of a game down the stretch for the St. Louis Blues when we're getting into the crunch time post-trade deadline. Are you bleeping kidding me? But it had to happen. It was the right decision by Craig Berube, and now you have, what, 20 games, 15 games left? 18. They've got to get those guys going. If they don't, 
the season's going to end because they can't figure out how to play the right way. Yeah, and look, Craig Berube said it postgame. He's like, the, the, we played the fourth line because the fourth line was playing the style that we needed them to play. Don't overlook the fact that Alexei Torbchenko got the goal off of hard work. Logan Brown goes in, gets the puck. Torbchenko comes off of that shift and then snaps it with the puck on his tip. That's the other thing, too. As much as you're going to talk about these players, Blues are passing up shots. Yep. Blues are, uh, what did they add, 16 shots that were that missed the net last night. And that's the, the passing up shots part, by the way, is why I brought up Buchnevich, because I think he's a big part of that. It, it, guys are just trying. It, it, sometimes it feels like, you know, guys are, are the cliche saying is grasping the stick too tight because, you know, they don't want to make a mistake or something like that. And maybe that's why they're passing up the shots or because they know that things aren't looking well in the first couple of minutes of the game. And so you're just continuing to pass. And Craig Berube said the coaches just keep hammering away, but that's on the players. That's not on us. Look how long it took Robert Thomas to start shooting the puck more. It took him a couple of years for the Blues to get that in. So that's something that they have to instill in their heads. But it comes down, as much as people want to talk about the goaltending, and I know we're going to get into that, as much as people want to blame Colton Pareko or Justin Falk for having a bad game, you got to look at the forwards as well. I mean, the forwards are just as much have a responsibility on the defensive side in terms of back-checking than the defenseman and the goaltender do on a goal that goes in. The second goal of the game, I believe it was, it was the odd man rush. And Jordan Cairo was the last guy back. And the last guy back that wasn't skating to get his guy that was the guy that scored the goal. The goal that was the game, well, not the game winner, but the one that put it away, the 4-2 goal by Hodgson. That goal came because Robert Thomas wasn't getting back in time for him, at least from the camera view. I'm sure there's a lot more hockey uh, technical sides of things that maybe that was somebody else's guy, but when you look at it on the television, when fans see it, and there's one guy skating back and one guy by himself. I mean, you don't have not, to be a hockey expert. You're not back Kyra's checking. has got to do more there. You're not back checking hard enough. You have to be stronger on your stick, as Craig Bruby likes to say, and you have to win puck battles. That's outworking the competition. And the Blues did not outwork the competition last night, which in retrospect is why they've lost nine games to teams that are the bottom ten in the National Hockey League. They've got to be better in those situations. And now that you're getting down to the stretch, they've got nine of their last 18 games against non-playoff teams. Home ice, it, it, it's got to come down to them being able to pick up the points that are necessary in those types of games. You typically expect to go right around 500 against the quality opponents if you're a good team. So where are those points going to come from down the stretch if you're the Blues? They've got to come from these teams against or these games against teams like Philadelphia. And I, we're getting a lot of text. 65780 is the Air Comfort Service X line to get involved to the show throughout the day today about Jordan Cairo and how he stands around too much. He's not a good defender. Guys, that's not entirely true. Like, is he a great defender? No. But he's had his moments this year where he has played quality defense. He's in there, and he's he's got a whether it be um, something that he's getting on the back check, the four check. Like there are moments where he plays very well defensively, but then there are moments like last night where it just looks like he's got his head in the sky. He's not paying attention. He's not fully engaged defensively. That's what has to change. And I don't know how they get him to change that way. I don't know how you get him to in a night against the Flyers be fully engaged. And we're picking on Jordan Kyrou right now. He's not alone. This is not just a Kyrou thing, but Kyrou is one of the five most important players on this team down the stretch. And if you can't get him going specifically, if they have to continue benching him down the stretch and they don't trust him in the third period and he's playing, 
I mean, last night was an outlier with the amount of time that he was playing, but if he's playing 15, 16 minutes, that's not enough. You need him to be out there as a goal scorer for you, and to do that, it's got to be closer to 17 or 18 minutes per game, and that's got to happen in the playoffs. So I don't know how you get him back there. If anybody can do it, I trust Craig Berube to be the guy that does it. We are now officially into crunch time for this Blues team. Man, you look at some of these standings, it is getting tight in the Western Conference. Alongside Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kiley. It's BK and Ferrario on 101 ESPN. We're going to continue talking Blues on the other side. Vegas is the reason why you got to have urgency if you're the Blues. We'll explain why next. Plus, uh-oh, it's officially panic time with Jordan Bennington. We'll talk about that on the other side here on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Alongside Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendricks and I'm Brandon Kylie. Am I allowed to freak out about Jordan Bennington yet? Oh, freak out. The freak. Freak out. I know Alex has a lot of Dayquil like in his system I right now. I have so much Dayquil <laughs> and Nyquil in my system right now. Man, that's loopy. We're live at the E&B Granite Studio out of the Centene Community Ice Center. Tanner Hendrickson back in the studio holding it down for us. We'll be joined by Cardinals outfielder and designated hitter Corey Dickerson coming up here in about 10 minutes or so. We recorded our conversation with him yesterday, so you'll hear that coming up here in about 10 minutes or so. But, man, Jordan Bennington... Three, seven, and one in his last 11 starts. He's allowing an average of just around three and a half goals per game in that stretch. And he has losses against New Jersey and Ottawa and Winnipeg and Philly. Man, this is not all on him. Last night, it was not all Jordan Bennington's fault that the Blues lost that game. It wasn't. They played horribly in front of him as well. But also, if we're going to cite his wins whenever he's playing well, like a couple of years ago, what was it, the 30-win season or whatever? Yeah, I talk about it all the time. That's why uh, I thought he was a great goal. That's why we have faith in him, right? Yeah. Well, then I also have to cite this year the fact that he's 13-13-4 in his starts, and that is just not good enough. I don't know what it is. I don't know what has gone wrong for Jordan Bennington this year. And again, one more time, it is not all his fault. Last night was not all on him. But, man, there were a couple of goals against him that were, he would tell you, I would want that one back. I don't know what they do down the stretch, but given the fact that there is so much urgency for this team right now and how tight the race is in the Western Conference, Alex, maybe you can tell me if I'm overreacting. I'm prone to to do that at times, some would say. Oh, come on, man. I think you can make a pretty strong case that at least for now, unless it's a back-to-back, it should be a Huso start. Yeah, I, I think that's where I'm at right now. And honestly, I think that's where the Blues are at. I, I, you had to get Bennington into a game because like it or not, you're going you're gonna to need Bennington. You're going to need Bennington to steal you a couple of games. Win. The back-to-backs, okay. at least. But I think now we're looking at Ville Huso playing a majority of the games the rest of the stretch because you're, you're basically playing a playoff schedule with the exception of the back-to-backs. Game. Day off, game, day off. You got some tough travel in there. Like, they're going to Western Canada next week. So, you're maybe going to see Bennington not in a back-to-back scenario. But it's Ville Husso's net. And, look, I- I'm with you. I'll reiterate it like you did three times. It's not all on Bennington. Barubi has said it that much. He said the team does not give Bennington a whole lot of support when he's in between the pipes. But I think some of that can be just because of the play of the goaltender. And I'll give you a great example. I've mentioned in the past the head-dipping moments for a team. 
third period opens up last night. I'm walking out of the stadium to head to OB Clark's for our postgame show, and I'm listening. And I'm hearing the crowd noise while I'm walking down the stairs, and I'm listening to Curbs and Joey call it. The Blues are reeling. I mean, they're circling. They're cycling. They're getting their shots. They nearly score a goal. Ryan O'Reilly gets robbed by Martin Jones. And what happens? Midway through that period, Hodgson's comes down, scores that goal. Again, that's not all on Jordan Bennington because there was no defensive back check there and left Hodgson's wide open. But you got to make those saves. Doug Armstrong referenced the way that the Blues were playing against the New York Rangers when they were out shooting the Rangers 13-1. to And that one save that Ville Husso, he could have given it up. The Blues probably would have won that game, but he made that save. Yep. Those are the moments that you need your goaltender to come up big when the team is giving it their all and then the puck goes in the back of the net on the opposite side. That's the moment of, oh, man, really? Like, we had it going, and then now it's a two-goal deficit. And again, that's not on Bennington because the Blues put themselves in that position in the first period when I don't really know if I would consider either of those goals Bennington's fault. That's more the defense not playing strong enough. But right now, what they need is they need a goaltender that can steal a couple of goals. And that's what Ville Husso is doing. Like it or not, I am the biggest Bennington fan. People know that. I've backed him nonstop. And for some odd reason, I still wonder if he's going to see the ice in the playoffs. But for right now, Ville Husso in the games that we have seen has stolen goals from the opposition, which gives the Blues life. Jordan Bennington in his last nine games, 2-6-1, 8-81 save percentage. Man, it's just not good enough. Like you, you, I can't trust him right now. And you, you said like maybe he's going to end up being a guy that starts games for you in the playoffs. It, it's possible. I'm not writing anything off right now because two weeks ago I didn't think we were going to have a conversation today about how Jordan Cairo got benched in the third period. Two weeks ago I didn't think we'd be talking about Nick Letty actually being a really good defenseman for the Blues. Yeah, yeah, I mean everything can change. This stuff changes so quickly in the NHL that, yeah, we, we could be talking about anything two weeks from now and it wouldn't surprise me at this point. But as of today, given what we're watching currently, there's no way I could trust him in that type of a situation. Ville Husso has earned the net. And we talked about this a few weeks ago about, hey, down the stretch, is it possible that Ville Husso has Jordan Bennington's schedule from 2019 and Jordan Bennington takes on that Jake Allen role? And Jake Allen's role in 2019 was crucial. They needed him. He ended up earning them vital points down the stretch. But his role was basically playing back-to-backs and every once in a while occasionally giving Bennington a night off. That is now Jordan Bennington's role. That, that's what he needs to be for them down the stretch. And if he can steal a couple of games, like, for example, they've got a back-to-back next weekend, April 1st and April 2nd. They're at Edmonton and then at Calgary. Man, that ain't going to be easy. Either one of those games. I don't know who I would trust. Pr- frankly, I wouldn't trust him against either of those two teams. But he's going to hopefully have to steal you a point there. If you can go to overtime in one of those games, even if it's just one and not two, that's a win. I'll take that from Jordan Bennington in that situation. The following weekend, You've got Minnesota and New York, the Islanders. You probably have him going up against the Islanders on that Saturday matchup. And then you've got another one the following weekend, Minnesota and Nashville. That's not easy, either of those two games. Following weekend, Arizona and Anaheim. He's going to have some games. Uh, That's just not easy for the Blues team. (laughs) Exactly. He's going to have some games down the stretch that he's got to start for you. Like it, hate it, somewhere in between. That's going to be the role for Jordan Bennington now because as as of today, with the way that he's been performing... I can't trust him. He hasn't played well enough. And even though the team in front of him also deserves a lot of the criticism, I could say the same thing in front of Ville Husso, and he seems to come up with the big saves when they need him more often than not. Yeah, and look, 
uh, again, this isn't all Jordan Bennington, but you're going to need Jordan Bennington, and the team's going to have to start playing better in front of a goaltender, like it or not. Like, body language Definitely. aside, if, oh, well, they look like they play better in front of Villahuso, that's going to have to change because everyone around you is winning hockey games, and you have played now a total of 63 games, so you have 19 games left to play. Nine of those 19 are against bottom 10 teams in the National Hockey League. Quick math for everybody, which we don't like to do here on BK and Ferrario, that's 18 points. That's 18 out of a possible 38 points. Do you know what happens if you don't get 18 points out of a possible 38? You're sitting out of the you playoffs don't. because the Minnesota Wild have won six of their last ten and in the midst of a four-game winning streak. They leapfrog over you last night. The Nashville Predators, they've won six of their last ten, sitting one point behind you out of a playoff spot. Dallas has won three in a row. They have 75 points, and they're sitting three, four points behind you. You have Vegas, who just won last night, only three out of their last ten, but they're getting healthier. Vancouver, who you have a home-and-home against, they've been playing better. And like it or not, Winnipeg's only eight, nine points behind you. So this Central Division in Western Conference does not allow you the opportunity to lose a couple of games if you don't pick up. 10 out of those 18 points against those bad teams, you could be on the outside looking in because Doug had a great comment last night with us on postgame. You can you can lose against bad teams and be okay, but if you don't beat the bad teams, you're not going to beat the good teams every single night. So what are you going to do if you don't win those 9 of 19 and then you got 10 against playoff caliber? You think you're coming out with 20 points against playoff caliber teams? You're hoping for 10. Yeah. You're hoping for 10 points against those playoff caliber teams, and you're hoping for 14-ish, something like that, uh, against those teams that are uh, the bottom dwellers in the league. And if you don't do that, this team will miss the playoffs. And don't forget. Or something approaching that. Your last two games in the regular season, Vegas? And let me state this as well. Like, even if you don't miss the playoffs, but instead you're going up to Colorado, for example, in that first round. Remember what uh, Daryl Sutter, what he had to say about that? Yeah, you're wasting 13 days of your day of your life. Like that's where you're at right now. And, if you're the Blues, and it doesn't get easier because if you don't get to Colorado, you get Vegas or uh, Calgary. Good luck. Now, those are both heavy teams, by the way. You got you. They they have to figure this out against the qual the the poor opponents that are on their schedule. If they don't get it figured out, they will either miss the playoffs or they'll be bounced in the first round. Now of the, the playoffs. good news is. Nashville's got two games in hand on you, so that's a benefit. And I think you play Nashville one more time. You play Minnesota two more times, so you have these head-to-heads. But again, you got to correct this because those head-to-heads, on top of the fact that you have four possible points against Vancouver, if you lose both of those games next week to Vancouver, they have 75 points, and you're sitting with 79 depending on the outcome of the Carolina Hurricanes game. So, I mean, you could be pushed out by teams in the Pacific Division more so than the Central Division. 65780 is the Air Comfort Service text line. Ask us anything coming up at about 15 minutes. But next, we're going to be joined by a guy that I think is going to be crucial to the Cardinals' plans this year, Corey Dickerson, their new outfielder, designated hitter, left-handed bat, former All-Star. want to talk to him about what his offseason was like, what his early impressions are on the Cardinals, and Alex, it's kind of wild, but Corey Dickerson actually came up in the Rockies minor league system 10 years ago. He came up at the same time as Nolan Arenado. What's it like to reunite with a former friend, former teammate? We'll talk to Corey Dickerson about all of that coming up next here on 101 ESPN. 
We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Alongside Alex Ferrario, I'm Brandon Kiley. It's BK and Ferrario on 101 ESPN. So yesterday we were able to catch up with one of the newest Cardinals, their outfielder and designated hitter. I think the favorite to be their designated hitter this year, Corey Dickerson. And we caught up with him about a bunch of different things, including his relationship with Nolan Arenado, what it's been like so far, his experience with Ali Marmol, and why he decided to become one of the newest members of the Cardinals. He joins us now via the Brown and Crouppen celebrity line. Our first question with Corey Dickerson was, well, what was this offseason like as you were trying to navigate the CBA negotiations as a free agent and ultimately led you here to St. Louis? What was that like for Corey Dickerson? It was pretty, you know, simple at first. You know, I have three kids and a wife that I'm pretty I'm pretty busy um, taking my two oldest boys to school, um, have a one-year-old little girl, and, um, you know, I have the same routine every day besides uh, different things I do and workouts and stuff like that. But um, I pretty much consume myself with that, um, just enjoying my family, um, preparing the same way I do all the time. Um, I think the only stressful time really was, you know, whenever we, we're all getting punked, you know, uh, every, every day it seemed like the lockout may and may not, you know, it's like don't get your hopes up. Um, and then after it ended, it was kind of, you know, okay, we'll be, you know, a couple hours, we'll be a couple of days, we'll be a week. And then, so that was probably the only really stressful part. Corey, real quick, I mean, you mentioned you got to just be dad there for a little bit. And I always applaud baseball players because that's such a long season when you go through spring training and then you're going all the way, hopefully, into the playoffs. Was it just cool to be dad there for a couple of weeks? Alex is asking because he's got a one year old that's at home. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean it's awesome. I mean I I have a different perspective, you know, growing up a little bit, having a little more I, I like to say wisdom. I've been through a lot, seen a lot. Um and you know, not a day goes by if you're a competitor that you don't think about the game, think about performing. Um but also being able to lean into my kids and, you know, speak wisdom into them while driving to school or, you know, just to be there for them, uh, you know, because the last few years have been really tough with, you know, COVID. They, they weren't able to travel a lot with us. And then last year, same with me going to Toronto. It was the border was uh, tough for them to come over. So it was definitely, you know, always, always good to have that solid routine with the family. We're talking to Corey Dickerson, Cardinals new outfielder, DH, 2017 All-Star. He's joining us here on BK and Ferrario. Uh, Corey, I was curious because you played with Nolan Arenado in Colorado, but you guys also came up together, if I'm not mistaken, down in the minor leagues. What's it like to be back with Nolan Arenado a decade later, the two of you on the same team outside of Colorado? Yeah, it's just crazy. It's like last men standing, you know. It's, it's <laughs> kind of cool to see, you know, guys that 
you know, that's one thing that motivates me too is longevity. I take really good care of my body and um, I'm always evolving and looking at new ways to improve. And, um, you know, Nolan, I got the, the late end of the minor leagues, uh, the upper half. I started playing with him and, you know, me and Nolan always been pretty good friends and um, he's still the same cat. Uh, he's so competitive. He's, has the same stuff in the locker room that I remember. Um, you know, he's just one of those people that loved, loved, loved the game. And, um, you know, to be back reunited with him, I can kind of, you know, there's a comfort there um, and somebody I can talk to for sure about the game. Corey, how much were playoffs important to you when it came to deciding who you wanted to sign a contract with? Definitely important because I love, I love to compete. I love to win. Um, you know, and unfortunately it's, it's really, really tough to make the playoffs, you know, like it's just such a long season and the odds, you know, are against you. Um, but yeah, whenever I looked at this team and the opportunity and, you know, faith in myself and being closer to home made a lot of sense for me to, uh, pursue it because, you know, I like to I like to grind. I like to play hard, um, do the little things, do the details um, at the best of my ability. And you know, as soon as I walk walked into this locker room, I knew this is what this organization is about. Everybody is striving to get better at the little things and playing hard, and I'm all about it. We're talking to Corey Dickerson, one of the newest Cardinals here on 101 ESPN. Uh, Corey, I saw one of your comments the other day about hitting for power and maybe giving up a little bit of that average to get more of the slug. This is something that Matt Carpenter has talked about a lot over the last few years here in St. Louis as well, is just finding that happy medium of average and slug and and what the bat speed is for you. What What is that process like for you going through spring training as you're trying to hone in what your swing's going to be going into the regular season? Yeah, for sure. It's, it's tricky during spring training because you want to, you know, <laughs> maybe feel like you're getting the head out or catching catching the ball in front and driving the ball. But, you know, spring training, you're training all day. Uh, the intensity, you don't even know who you're facing sometimes. And you're kind of just going out there blind. Um, and you're trying to get your best swings off. And it's not quite happening. And then you'll start questioning things. Um, but season's completely different. You know, your, your routine's different. You're heightened focus. You see the ball better. You just kind of get more locked in. So you try not to put too much, too much stock in the spring training. Um, but yeah, I feel like it's hard to ride that ha- happy medium, though. It's kind of the situation should dictate what you should do, but. Um, you know, two strikes, you can shorten up things like that, that I have in my arsenal, but, you know, early in counts, you know, you can't be halfway. You want to, if you want to drive the ball and try to do damage, um, you got to find that approach and that get that fear out of your head. Sometimes it depends playing at certain parks, you know, you're going to have to take your hit and the power coming out of parks and things like that. But yeah, during spring training, you really, I'm trying to, that's my kind of hit the ball, hitting it harder and more free where I'm not thinking about mechanics and 
um, just trying to hit the ball or trying to get a hit. I'm not just trying to get a hit. I just want to hit the ball hard. And then if I know I can, you know, consistently do that, the ball travel. The game has changed so much, Corey, since you got into the big leagues. I mean, whether you look at the shift or the analytics that people are using or, I mean, a million different things from where it was in 2013 to where it is today. I'm curious, when we hear guys like Nolan Gorman talk about their hitting approach and what they're doing to get better off the field, it, it's all about the technology, right? It's the advanced numbers. It's the exit velocities, the launch angles. How much of that stuff are you into versus the old school, just see ball, hit ball type of mentality? I think if you're going to transform something or trans, like make a big transformation in your swing and you're going to become this other type of hitter, um, like kind of like Turner did. Um then it's very useful. But if I have track man and the blast sensor and stuff, and I take BP and I'm looking at these numbers, exit VOs, just because I hit a ball 105 don't mean, you know, was it the correct angle? And also it's BP. There's a lot of variables that, like, you know, if you're in a box, you're facing a pitcher that's got a 99-mile-per-hour fastball now with a 92-mile-per-hour slider. There's a lot of variables into that. Um, you're not just hitting BP. So a lot of times for me, whenever I get out of my own class way and I I just say forget it and compete, I end up willing my way to getting hits, willing my way to the power and competing and winning. But whenever I'm so internal with my thoughts and not external, um, I tend to uh, be late, give up a bat or two, and then, then I get frustrated, and then I finally go back and say, you know what, I've been gifted with this ability. Just, just do it. Just hit. Get in the box and hit. Yeah. Speaking of competing, Corey, you've had over 500 at bats as a, a designated hitter, and of course, the DH coming to the National League this season. Is there a different approach mentally as a hitter to be a DH rather than be the guy that's hitting and also playing defense throughout a game? Oh, 100% if you're doing it every day. I learned that the hard way in 16. It weighed on me. Um, I felt like the only thing I could do was help the team, you know, with my bat. So if I wasn't doing well, I was hitting more. I was thinking more. I was I was just in my own self way, kind of like a dog chasing its tail. Um, <laughs> but then, you know, at the end of the year, I freed up and was hitting better and then, Took it in the 17, had more of a different mindset. I uh, prepared like I was playing in left, but I was very relaxed, kind of meditative type mindset, not going to hit more. I would get into conversations after a bat, so I wouldn't just think about my bat, try to watch the game more, cheer, cheer the guys on more, things like that to kind of separate it because it's different when you just need like Goldsmith needs a day and he's going to DH. I mean, that's not even mentally hard because you're just – you're just taking a day and like, thank you. I'll take my four bats, and if I do, you know, if I do well, great. But it's more of a rest day. So those guys, it's hard to judge a DH versus somebody that, oh, uh, he does good when he DHs, but he DHs once every blue moon. Um, it's a totally different ball game whenever you're every day. Corey, final one for me, and we appreciate the time today talking with us. Um, I, I know it's only been a short sample size since you've signed, but what have your impressions been of Ali Marmol, uh, manager for the Cardinals? Good person. Uh, I think whenever you just have your first conversations with him, uh, the genuineness of, you know, his demeanor, the way the way he can, uh, it's kind of like a calmness, you know, real calm. Um, so far, I've really, really enjoyed being able to be around him. And 
look forward to get to know him more. And we'll get you out of here on this one. A lot of Cardinals fans are very excited, not only, not only about the the addition of you, Corey Dickerson, but also seeing this young outfield once again this year with guys like O'Neill, Bader, Carlson, Newt Bar, all of you guys being out there and splitting the time with the outfield and then the designated hitter spot. What's been your early impressions of those young outfielders that you're with? It's fun. Um, I think we have great communications, you know, during practice. You know, it's about, like, what do you see out there? What do you, about that, like, uh, Bader was asking uh, Lars, you know, what'd you see on this play? What'd you, what were you thinking? Um, and all this, like, it's, it's about getting better. And I think when we do our drills, we're all pretty focused on how we all want to improve, which is, you know, rare to see as a, as a totality of a group, because usually a lot of guys are taking routine ground balls and not really working their footwork or working through the ball. It's kind of wasting time. Here, we've uh, we've put in the work. We're, I think we're all getting better every day. He's Corey Dickerson. Excited to see him in a Cardinals uniform this year, an all-star back in 2017, one of the better left-handed hitters in the sport over the last decade. Corey, we're excited to see you here in St. Louis for opening day. We can't wait to watch you in a Cardinals uniform. Thanks so much for doing this with us today. Hopefully, we'll talk with you again soon. Yeah, for sure. Thanks, guys. Huge thanks to Corey Dickerson for sitting down with us, talking a little bit about his experience in the offseason, what led him to the Cardinals, what he's expecting with the Cardinals. We did that with him yesterday. Of course, the Cardinals getting ready to uh, play a spring training game today, so he was unavailable during our show. Huge thanks to him for doing that with us. We'll talk a little bit more about some of the comments that he had to say with us, Alex, in, in particular what he said about playing DH and how different the mindset is when you're a designated hitter on a regular basis compared to if you're playing in the field. Want to get into that and what it means for Nolan Gorman, what it means for Juan Yepes, Brendan Donovan. We'll do that coming up in the 12 o'clock hour. But coming up next, 65780 is the Air Comfort Service text line. It's time for Ask Us Anything here on 101 oh. ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. You've got questions. We may have the answers. Maybe text now to 65780. It's PK and Ferrario's questions and answers on 101 ESPN. 65780 is the air comfort service text line for Ask Us Anything. Let's start out with this one from the 314. Guys, what's your go-to restaurant if you're going to the hill? Oh, man. Can I admit something? It's like asking which kid I love the most. This is a character flaw by me. I have not spent very much time over on the hill. Hey, me neither, so I'm with I'm you on that. I'm being totally honest. Like, I, I am Italian. How? You love food. I do. So this is another character flaw by me. You don't like Don't food? eat a lot of pasta. I just don't, I, I don't eat a lot of pasta, so I don't kind get down to the hill all that often. Oh, uh, you know, you know what? You didn't want to eat at Max when we were out there last week because you needed to go get your, your sandwich on rye okay. bread. No, it's because it I grew happen. up eating my grandma's. Um, oh, yeah. Everything was homemade. It was ready to go for me. And it's just different, right? When you go out to eat something, like, I'm not going to go out to Fazoli's. It just did. So, so I'm that way with spaghetti. And, and to be fair, like that is not the hill. The hill is amazing yeah. Italian food. I just don't get out that way very often. So, so I'm that way with spaghetti. I don't eat spaghetti. Totally with you. Like my wife will make it. And she'll be like, why don't you want this? Because my grandma Shirley used to make spaghetti homemade, yep. pasta, red sauce, homemade. And it was never good. My grandpa, he would always go out to eat and he would order spaghetti and it would be red pasta. 
and he would not eat it. And my grandma would be like, what the hell are you doing? And he goes, doesn't taste like yours. But it's like, why do you keep ordering it? So I understand where you're coming from there, but there are so many good spots on the hill. I mean, Ragazzi's is unbelievable, Pietro's, but my go-to, Favazza's. It is the best Italian food that you can get. They have this solpicata fish in, like, lemon garlic wine sauce. Oh, and their bread and their rev. Oh, yeah. Favazza's is my spot. 65780 is the air comfort service tax line from the 636. BK, have you talked about Mizzou's number one Juco recruit yet? I have not, but M-I-Z, baby. I am starting to buy in on Dennis Gates already. Everything that I'm hearing about the staff that he's trying to assemble. That's the coach. I know, but everything that I'm hearing about his coach that or his coaching staff rather that he's trying to assemble. Uh, sounds like he might be going out there and getting some player getters, and he already got one. So Mizzou today, if you haven't seen the news, they got a commitment from the number one rated JUCO player in the country, according to some places. From Lewis and Clark Community College? No. He's uh, six foot ten. He can shoot a little bit. He can handle the ball a little bit, but he's a rim runner. He's like Ooh. a a lankier Kofi. version of Shaq. What's the what's the kid's name? Uh, Tillman. Davis. Jeremiah Tillman. Damn. So, yeah, this is good. They haven't had a legitimate center in a good minute, so or basically since Tillman graduated. So this is a big-time get for them. Very excited about it. Hopefully they can continue going this way. Uh, one thing that's been encouraging, I guess, they seemingly are tied to every single top transfer that's on the market. Right yeah, I, read, I read a piece yesterday. I forgot who put it out, but basically Dennis Gates has already contacted the top five Juco transfers in the portal, which I mean, good yeah. for him. Man. I mean, he's doing his due diligence. You expect him to. You have but, to. Man, I mean, to already get that one, this guy might be an underrated recruiter than what people were giving him credit for coming into this program. Ultimately, it's going to come down to whether or not he can get the players. And so far, this is this is an encouraging sign. We don't know if it will continue, but so far, an encouraging sign that he's able to go out there and get. I I had heard that he had very good um, connections with the Juco circuit. It's a good start, man. It's a good start. I just hope he doesn't. I hope he doesn't become that, though. Like I hope he doesn't become the. Oh well, we'll just get JUCO transfers and be good. You have to get the recruits in state. At this point, it's kind of become like a professional sport. You've got to be able to trade. You've got to be able to do free agency. You've got to be able to draft. If you don't do all, if you don't acquire talent in every way possible, depending on what your sport is. You're not going to be able to win at the highest of levels. Look at the Dodgers. Where do they get their talent? Well, I mean, everywhere. They trade. They acquire talent via free agency. They go out there in, in, in the international market. They're very um, active. And also, they draft and develop. So every way that they are able to acquire talent, they do. Same thing in college right now. If you're not going out there into the portal and getting players, you're doing your job wrong. If you're not getting some guys every once in a while, at least from JUCO, you're not doing your job correctly. And also, you still need to be able to go into the high schools and get some of that top talent to be able to develop them as well. So he's got to be able to do all of that. And that's what it's going to be going to require for them. All right. Final question here. This one comes from the 618. Guys, when Tanner goes into the public restroom, does he use the tall or the small or the shorter urinal? Um, What is his go-to way? (laughs) Kind of a weird question. Fair question, though. How is that a fair question? You look like you you would use the short How tall are you, Tanner? 5'8". 5'8". Why do you guys always make me older and shorter than I am? Somebody, uh, one of our listeners came up to me at OB Clark's and uh, was just telling me, he's like, man, love listening to you guys, listen to you every day. We used to work out of my truck. And he said, you guys are too hard on Tanner. And I told him, <laughs> I said, no. Thank you. I said, we're trying to get the kid. He's 22 years old. He's, he needs to learn life a little bit more. He goes, no, you're right. He doesn't understand anything. That's fair. But no, you got to go with the tall urinal. Okay. You, you gotta, you gotta... Honestly, 
You don't pick the small one, and you don't got to go into a stall. I prefer to sit. It's easier. Less urine on the floor. Coming up in 15 minutes, we're going to be joined by Mike McKenna, former NHL goalie, now an analyst for the Daily Faceoff. What does he think about what's gone wrong for these Blues? How do they get the mindset back on track, especially against these lesser opponents? We'll ask Mike McKenna about that coming up at 12.15. But next, we continue our countdown of the 20 most important Cardinals for 2022, a guy that I thought was going to be at the back end of their rotation going into the year suddenly is becoming more and more important based on what the offseason news has been. We'll tell you who that is at number 12 next on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. And now the 20 most important Cardinals for the 2022 season on BK and Ferrario. Number 12, Dakota Hudson. Here's a 3-2 pitch. Swing and a miss. He struck him out. And that's six tonight. For Hudson. Dakota Hudson leaves the 2022 season as the number two starter for this team or more and is in line for an extension somewhat like Carlos Martinez received and Sandy Alcantara. Alongside Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kylie. We continue our countdown of the 20 most important Cardinals for 2022 with number 12. We are approaching the top 10 on our list. Number 12 is indeed Dakota Hudson. Alex's guy, the one that he believes could end up. Did you put him at number one? Being yeah. number, uh, number two starter by, for this team by the end of the year. Interestingly enough. Alex was not the highest ranking on this list for Dakota Hudson. He had him at number 12 on his list. Tanner had him at number 16. What are you doing, T-Ball? Going to have some explaining to do there. I had him all the way up at number 10 on my list. What's worse, me not putting Yachty on the list or him having Dakota Hudson at 16? You know what? It's not even close. (laughs) This is is not a fair 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 request here. Fair point. The reason I had him all uh, all the way up at number 10 on my list Because when you look at this rotation, I feel really good about what they're going to get out of Adam Wainwright this year. If Miles Michaelis is healthy, I think I know what they're getting out of him. And the same is true of Steven Matz as well. The guy that I think has the biggest gap between what he could be and what he has been over the last couple of years is Dakota Hudson. And that's simply because of health. He just hasn't been available for them over the last couple of years because of the Tommy John surgery. If he can come back and be what you heard Derek Gould say, where, hey man, this guy could end up leaving the season as the number two starter and a guy who ends up getting a contract extension similar to what Carlos Martinez got, similar to what Sandy Alcantara just got down from the Marlins. That is a huge win for the Cardinals. He's got a better command than he did the last time that we saw him as a starting pitcher, but he plays well in front of this defense. Ground ball after ground ball after ground ball. He looked great down the stretch last year. Number 10 on my list, number 12 on the list overall, Dakota Hudson. Yeah, the only reason I didn't have him higher up is because I feel like the Cardinals are going to handcuff him and not allow him to spread his wings this season. And if I knew that they weren't going to have any limits on him and just let him go, he probably would have been top eight for me because I do believe this could be the year that we start to see the signs of a Dakota Hudson look like. I don't think he's ever going to look like a number one, but I think this is the year that we could see him looking like a number two for this team, especially with this defense behind him. He's got to he's got to lower the amount of pitches thrown 
per inning because that first spring training start, which I get it, it was the first spring training start, but it took like 30 pitches to get him out of the second inning. And I, you want to see that lower a little bit. But I think with what I've seen in the past of Dakota Hudson, for his ability to impact contact and have the defense take over, I think this guy could be a legit number two starter in your rotation after the year. But again, I didn't put him up higher because I feel like the Cardinals are going to keep him down a peg this year because of the injuries from last year. And, and that's exactly why I had him at 16. Was I, I just view that he's going to be on a, maybe an innings limit. Maybe they end up moving him to the bullpen later on in the year because of an innings restriction. I mean, we're talking about a guy that's only thrown 47 and two-thirds innings pitch in the last two seasons. And granted, 2020 was a short season, but that's when he got hurt. And then last year, he only came back, and I think he threw, what was it, like eight and two-thirds innings pitch. He just had a couple appearances. So that's the reason I had him so low is because I just wasn't 100% certain uh, how they're going to utilize him. I think he's going to be very much protected in terms of how the Cardinals are going to approach his use but I agree with you I think his upside is he's going to be the number two guy for them coming out of this season and a guy that we're talking about kind of how we've talked about Tyler O'Neill and Harrison Bader as contract extension guys heading into spring training next year that's the only reason I had him lower otherwise I don't know if he cracked my top 10 but he probably would have been about 11 12 on my list yeah I I think they're going to innings limit him but I think it could still be 130 140 150 innings this year and if you get that out of Dakota Hudson man that's hugely important that's what we're hoping they end up getting this year out of like Steven Matz and Miles Michaelis. If you get those three guys and they're able to give you a combined right around 500 innings or so, I think that's a huge win for this team. And that's what I'm hoping for. If he can give you that and he can do it to the degree of a sub four ERA this season, I think that's what you're looking for out of Dakota Hudson. Very quality innings give you consistently quality starts if he can get you to like 25 28 starts this year 150 to 160 ish innings somewhere around there i think that would be an ideal bounce back season for dakota hudson would you guys sign him to a long-term extension if he gives you that i would and what was sandy alcantara's 555 something like that yeah i would sign him to that because especially with the uncertainty of Jack Flaherty, I got to see it this year before I give it to him, though. That's the thing. I got five and fifty six. Five and fifty six. I'll contract. I got to. I got to see it consistently this year and know that injury concern is not there. I know you guys say all the time, don't sign a pitcher to a long term deal, but Dakota Hudson, if he stays healthy, which is a big if, but he just matches the the need for this Cardinals team in terms of contact, in terms of innings pitched. Hopefully the walks go down, but I would sign him to a contract extension if he looks good this year. I would, too, if he looks good. He stays healthy, and that walk percentage continues to go down. It's gone down in his first three seasons. Again, 2020 was shortened, but that's that's the big holdup we hear from everybody that we have on the show. Eno Saris, who's a big pitcher, pitcher's guy, has always had concerns about Dakota Hudson and his walk percentage. So stays healthy, gives you that 130 innings you're talking about, and he can cut down that walk rate. Absolutely. I would look to extend Dakota Hudson. I would. I would not give him the Sandy Alcantara contract. Sandy Alcantara is a star. Sandy I, Alcantara might be an ace of a staff. Carlos Martinez had the potential to be an ace of a staff. I like Dakota Hudson a lot. I think he's a very good pitcher. I think his future at best is Steven Matz type of stuff. Like that. That's the kind of pitcher that he becomes where it's ground ball after ground ball after ground ball. He's never going to overwhelm you. He's not going to have a Sandy Alcantara, Carlos Martinez, 25% strikeout rate. That's just not who he is as a pitcher, and that's fine. He can work here because of the defense that's behind him while being that guy. Sandy Alcantara, by year four and five of his deal, is getting $17 million. 
I'm not willing to go there. If you're going to go up into the 10, 12 million dollar range by the end of the deal. Okay, sure. We can talk, but I'm not giving him a five year, $56 million deal. If he wants to sign something closer to like a four to five years, 40 ish million dollar deal, $45 million deal where it's guaranteed. He's locking himself in. He's had some injury questions. He's getting long-term certainty and the Cardinals are also making sure that they have some certainty there. I think I might consider that, but I, I, there's almost no scenario in which I'm signing him to the Sandy Alcantara contract Man, I, after I, this year. I look at 2019, and I look at a guy who got 16 wins, a 3.35 ERA. I know the walks were really high, but I think you can fix that. He was 24. It was his first full season. But I look at that 3.35 ERA, and then I look at the defense that he had behind him. And I put that with this defense. You could be talking about a guy who's looking at possibly a 2.6 ERA with that kind of season, which I know we probably can't have because they have the the handcuffs on him. But I look at that and I say, I think he could do better than that on a consistent basis, which isn't an ace, isn't a Sandy Alcantara. But I think it's that next tier below Sandy Alcantara. But I can go get that guy that you're talking about on the open market as we just saw this offseason for 10 to $12 million as a veteran who I know is going to be healthy for me on a two to three year deal. So if he wants to get that kind of a contract, he can have it. But it's going to be for $10 million or so per year from me. I, I'm not giving him the $15 million per year. I remember when contract. we had this conversation a couple months ago, I thought he might get, if you were to extend him now, which we're, we're talking about if he has a healthy year, I thought he'd get like the Jose Quintana extension with the White Sox. Five years, $26.6 million. He has a good year, probably looking at five by $30, $35 million. I, I think that's probably the range you're talking about for an extension for Dakota Hudson. That's more in the range of what I'd be interested in. Alongside Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kylie. Coming up in about 15 minutes or so, Albert Pujols' name. I'm starting to hear his, hear his name connected to the Cardinals again, not by any sort of real reports, but Cardinals fans kind of wondering, hey, would, would, would it make sense at this point to maybe bring him back to St. Louis? We'll talk about that coming up in 15 minutes. Mike McKenna, former NHL goalie, next. We're right back to the BK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Alongside Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kylie. We are broadcasting live from the E&B Granite Studio out of the Centene Community Ice Center, where the Blues have had their morning skate earlier today. It sounds like it was an intense one. Craig Bruby having multiple conversations off to the side with certain players afterwards. I know Ivan Barbashev had a one-on-one with Craig Bruby after practice. It looked like Pavel Buchnevich also had a one-on-one. Very with- tempo too. I walked out there, and I mean, they were very loud. Um- communicating on the ice, cheering on each other. So uh, an up-tempo one after a tough loss, I would imagine. And something that was certainly necessary after that game last night. We're going to break it all down right now via the Brown and Crouppen Celebrity Line with former NHL goalie, now an analyst for the Daily Faceoff. He is Mike McKenna joining the show as he does each and every Friday with us. Mike, we appreciate the time as always, man. How are you doing today? Well, I'm doing great. I feel for Blues fans out there. I know last night wasn't the greatest one to watch, but I was in attendance. And I tell you what, my daughters had an identity crisis. <laughs> Philadelphia Flyers is the organization I ended my career in. We still have fond memories of them. They treated our family great. They gave us a couple of jerseys when I was tra- or when I was picked up off waivers by that team. So my girls were wearing those jerseys. 
But my other one daughter, my oldest one, had a blue shirt underneath it. And she was cheering every time they scored. So, you know what? We had a lot of fun watching the game. I played hockey this morning. Life's good right now. How are you guys doing? See, Mike, that's, that's an internal crisis, though, because, like, the girls have to have multiple jerseys, though, right? Because you've played with multiple teams. I did. So, I, I tell you what. I, I got a guest here. I have one person who'd like to say something. Um, this is my oldest daughter, Kenlin. Kenlin, how many jerseys do you think you own? Probably about, like, 20. <laughs> <laughs> so, so any day of the week, she can choose so as, which one she wants to wear. So as our dog goes crazy in the background, I'm going to move on upstairs. But that's my oldest daughter, Kenlin. Yeah, she has jerseys from uh, from the team in Dallas and the team in Philly and Ottawa. We've got quite a few. So awesome. I'm not the only suitcase in the family. <laughs> I love it. That's fantastic. Well, Mike, um, I... I'm going to ask you to break down what we saw last night, but let's maybe focus in on this. What is it do you think that goes into the mindset of playing against these lesser opponents that's been holding back the blues of late? Well, it's hard to say, you know, like I watched that game last night and the cohesiveness simply wasn't there. And I actually have a, a little blurb coming out later today that I wrote about the blues on daily faceoff that says as much that, you know, when the Blues are their best, they're playing with speed. They're playing in unison. They're supporting the puck all over the ice. They're 10 to 15-foot passes. They're not 20 to 25-foot cross-ice hopers like we saw a lot of last night. And to me, that is part of it that plays into it. You're playing against a team like Philadelphia who you know they're not great. Subconsciously, they've got a lot of players who are young that don't have a ton of experience. Sometimes you just try to do too much and you don't have your legs going. You just simply can't get amped up for that game. And it's real. I mean, players feel that. But the best teams, don't, they don't let that bother them. They just go out and go about their business. And I think St. Louis, just to the core this year, it's kind of been a microcosm of what we've seen that they shoot themselves in the foot a lot. You know, I mean, like the third period last night, man, there was an extended sequence of probably – it felt like three or four minutes of Blues offensive zone time with the puck. Tarasenko misses the net twice, just barely. You know, I hit a post once. It can't get the puck to go in. And then here go the Flyers the other direction goal because it's a turnover and it goes the other way. The Blues just mentally turned their brain off and forgot their mission. So I don't know what the answer is to get the team amped up for it. You got somebody like Ryan O'Reilly, their captain, who to me does a phenomenal job night in, night out. But not enough players pick up off of his lead. They have to work as hard as him consistently. And against these clubs, it just hasn't been there. And Mike, we heard Craig Berube, Justin Falk, and then Doug Armstrong joined myself and Chris Kerber on postgame last night at OB Clark's. And all three used the phrase arrogance with this team. You've been in locker rooms before. I'm sure you've seen guys who have an arrogant mindset. How do you break that as a group if there are individuals who are playing with arrogance on the ice? Yeah, and that's a, that's a tough word, man. Like you talk about it in a locker room. If you hear that, well, you know that your team, your your management, your coaching staff, everybody, they're not happy with you. And you really have to rely on your leaders in those scenarios to come in and tell everyone what it's going to be like from this point forward. And if it's not like that, you're just not going to win. Like if you're trying to break the arrogance, you've got to look around and sometimes take a dose of humble pie and <laughs> and realize, man, like. What have the Blues accomplished since they won that Stanley Cup? A couple early exits, not great performances in playoffs, 
some times where the team's been up and down, hot and cold, like the consistency's not there. Like they need to look in the mirror and realize we don't have anything to be arrogant about anymore. That Stanley Cup's a long time off at this point, and there's been roster turnover, and that's culture. Like you got to culturally build that from within that you're a team that will work. And it, again, it's been there at times with the Blues this year. It just hasn't been consistent enough. They have to be able to come out and do that night in and night out. And they got to look at themselves and realize this is on us. It's not on our staff. It's purely in the locker room. And again, I think the leadership is really where you look to come through in those moments. Mike, is some of that arrogance, does it come from the fact that the Blues have, I mean, they're they're sixth most goal scored in the National Hockey League. They've had 17 come from behind wins. Is some of that arrogance just the knowledge that even if we don't have a good start, we know we'll come back? Yeah, I, I think that could play into it. I really think the Stanley Cup a few years ago still is a lingering memory. But you're not always going to be able to come back. And you're not going to be able to do that in the playoffs. You can't. The teams are too good. And if you can't do that against a team like the Flyers, who trotted out a third of their American League roster last night, they've traded away their best player, what are you going to do when you stack up against the Colorado Avalanche or even the Minnesota Wild? And that's the reality of the situation. So, you, you know, you look at this and you think, like, we got to get this together and be better off to start. You can't start a game down one or two, nothing. I don't care if you're playing against Arizona or the senators or teams that aren't any good. You have to play, start play from the start getting a lead helps, but you can't just rely on the fact that you think you'll be able to come back no matter what, because that just doesn't happen. The deeper it goes, those big comebacks, they don't happen. You've got to grind. And that's why, like I even look at a team like Pittsburgh that has 10 losses in overtime. That's not a great stat, but what that tells me, they're in every game. And the Blues haven't been in every game this year. They've been too wish-wash. They've been all over. They just need to find a way to be in every single game and get points when they can so that they end up at a higher seed. Because right now you're staring down Minnesota or Nashville in the first round. That's not going to be easy. We're talking to Mike McKenna, the former NHL goalie, now an analyst for the Daily Faceoff. Check out his work over there. He joins us each and every Friday here on BK and Ferrario. Mike, I'm going to try to do the impossible. I'm going to ask you to let us know what you thought of Jordan Bennington's game last night. I know that in front of him, the team did not play well. But I think if you asked him, he would probably tell you he also let up a couple of goals that he wishes he didn't. What did you think of Jordan Bennington last night? Well, we always hate every goal against. That's the way goaltenders <laughs> are. You know, I tell you what, man. I'm. I love. I love Bennington. His his attitude. What he's what he's done for the city. How he's played. It's just this year he's been one save off. And, and I'm sure he would have that same thought process as well. You know, I, I thought that the goal that Hodgson scored late. I know it's a broken down play. I know there's an initial net drive that he makes a save on, and the rebound goes in. But even earlier in the game when, and I can't remember who scored it, but it's a goal from the slot where there's a bit of interference with the players coming in. It's like Bennington just somewhat lost his technique. He was down a bit early. Like he just wasn't crisp. And, and it's been like that a lot this year. And I don't have an answer for that, but I think if I had to rate him, I'd say he was good, but he wasn't great. And last night they needed great. And to win Stanley cup, you need great. That run he went on to win the Stanley cup was unbelievable one of the best ever in the NHL from January on. And you think about the last two years, Andre Vasilevsky, money goaltender. Like his, the number of shutouts he has in elimination games, ridiculous. 
that's what you need to win. And, you know, Bennington's been one save off a lot this year. I'm not sure what he does to reclaim it. I think sometimes his fundamentals are a little bit off of what I've seen previously with him, but I don't think he's far. And I also think he might be pressing a little bit knowing Billy Huso is playing so well. And in all likelihood, if playoffs started, Billy Huso has got the net. Now, Mike, I need you to put that piece of humble pie that you took out earlier and put it back in the fridge because a couple of weeks ago we had you on and you talked about acquiring a defenseman and you said the name Nick Letty. And then, lo and behold, March 21st comes and goes. Doug Armstrong makes a move for Nick Letty. I get a text from Mike McKenna that says, Up, oh, what do you think? Nick Letty. We've seen him now in two games, Mike. I, I mean, he looks like a really good addition for this Blues team and what they've absolutely needed. I really like Nick Letty so far. And watching him last night, you know, spent most of the night alongside Pareko, which is where he was expected to slot in. You know, but he also did play with some of the other defensemen on the Blues. I mean, two shifts uh, next to Falk. And uh, obviously, we, when Krug left the game, that started to happen as well. But, you know, it, it's, it's seamless for him. He's been in the league long enough that he can play with different players, play, you know, even if necessary, go to either side. But the biggest reason I thought the Blues would get Letty is that. I thought they'd miss out on the top end players. The G- I thought they'd miss out on Lindholm or Chikrin. Chikrin didn't even get moved. Lindholm went for a King's ransom to Boston. I didn't think the Blues would be able to pull that off, especially with Doug Armstrong not wanting to give up a first-round pick, which I completely appreciate. So I thought they'd be kind of in on the secondary tier of defensemen, and I thought Letty would be an affordable person for that with experience that's steady, and he has been. But I think you're going to see even more growth in his game. He can do more on the power play. Uh, I think as he starts to get used to the system, he's going to be even more involved in the rush and know the times that he can jump and the appropriate uh, appropriate level of aggressiveness he can have. Because right now he's been very safe, and that's a good thing. But I think you'll see a little bit more aggressive Letty offensively once he really finds that comfort level. He's Mike McKenna, a former NHL goalie, now an analyst over at the Daily Faceoff. We enjoy each and every week being able to catch up with him here on BK and Ferrario. Mike, enjoy yourself this weekend. Hopefully we'll be able to talk about some better hockey next week when we catch up with you. Always enjoy these conversations. We'll talk with you again soon, my man. That sounds phenomenal. Thanks for letting my daughter indulge everybody today, <laughs> and hopefully tonight's a little bit better game for everyone. Tell her to keep rocking those jerseys, Mike. You got it. She's a Blues fan at heart, I'm telling you. It's really common. She just wears jerseys because she likes it. (laughs) I love it. That's awesome. Have a good weekend, Mike. You too. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. That's Mike McKenna joining us here on 101 ESPN. Coming up in about 15 minutes or so, we'll dive into the junk drawer with a quote from last night I don't think you're going to want to miss. But coming up next, is Albert Pujols really an option for the Cardinals? It's possible. We'll talk about it next here on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. The acquisition of Corey Dickerson changes everything to me with the conversation of Albert Pools, okay? Because here's the here's here's the the question. Would you rather have on your roster this season, would you rather have Juan Yepes or Albert Pujols? I mean, that is th- those are your questions, okay? Like that, that is the question to answer. And Juan Yepes had a really good year last year, and he's a young, talented slugger. You made the trade for him a couple of years ago for Matt Adams. 
But Albert Pujols is a guy that hit 294 and had a 939 OPS against left-handed pitching. You now have a roster, Jamie, where you could actually have a one-trick pony, where you could just have a guy that is hitting against lefties. That was Brad Thompson yesterday on the fast lane. Alongside Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kiley. BT then went on to say, this could be something that you get him for a million bucks. You might be able to sign right now Albert Pools on a veteran minimum type of a deal. I think it goes even further, though, than Albert versus Yepes. I think you can also include in that conversation Brendan Donovan, because as I see it right now, Alex, I think you've got your typical starting nine that we've expected. It's your, your starting eight plus Dickerson as your DH. I think your bench today would be Kisner, Sosa, Newt Bar, and then one of Yepes or Donovan. I think that's what you're looking at in terms of your 13 position players that would go into the season today. I understand we're likely going to start out the year with 28-man rosters. I think the Cardinals will go 15 uh, pitchers, 13 position players. That's my assumption on what they will do. If you're telling me that I can have Albert Pools going into the year, and I can combine that as, a, as my designated hitter, where Albert's getting all of the starts as my DH against left-handed pitching, and Corey Dickerson's getting all of the starts as my DH against right-handed pitching. I feel pretty damn good about that going into the year, man. Here's the problem. It eliminates any roster flexibility that you have. Because now you look at it, and who's going to go up and down between here and Memphis? So saying doing that. You're not seeing Kisner going up and down. You're not switching out your catcher for another position player. Newtbar's probably not going up and down. Maybe that's the one roster spot that you can play with. But then you're locked in to both Albert Pools and Corey Dickerson. So what happens when Nolan Gorman's ready to come up? Are you just going to say, okay, I guess Newtbar is going to spend the rest of the year down in the minors? What happens if by midseason... You've got Juan Yepes just crushing it down in AAA. Just going to leave him down there? Is Brendan Donovan not going to get an opportunity? I think that is where the Cardinals will say it doesn't make sense for us is because they don't want to have happen with Yepes or Donovan or Gorman what previously happened with Rosarena and Voight and all of those other guys that we've been talking about. This would be running into the same questions, the same potential mistake that the Cardinals have had over the years. And I think that is ultimately what will lead them not to sign Albert Pools. Not that they don't think he can play anymore, but that they're going to trust their guys internally. And then if Albert Pools remains unsigned when we get to June or July and these kids have not answered the bell in that spot, then maybe they give him a shot. But I think first they're going to give the kids an opportunity to get back. Yeah, I think that reasoning is why we won't see Albert Pujols in St. Louis because the Cardinals don't want to get away from that flexibility. I think they embrace the fact that they have a manager now that will utilize that flexibility. And like it or not, I would prefer Albert Pujols over Juan Yepes because Juan Yepes has been great, but Juan Yepes has also just done that at Memphis. And you're relying on a lot on a guy who has never seen a major league pitch other than at spring training for him being an impactful bat in your lineup. So I would love to see Pools over Yepes, but the flexibility is why it won't happen because they want the opportunity to bring up Donovan and bring up Yepes and bring up Gorman and move guys around and put guys in different positions to succeed. So as much as I wish that reunion was there, I think this is going to be the way that they go. This is the roster that they have in place. And not to compare it to hockey, but... I, I, there's so many quotes that Doug Armstrong said yesterday that just is so interesting to me that ties into other sports. And Doug talked about the 
time he took over for the Blues when they had drafted Eric Johnson and drafted Alex Petrangelo and had another young right-handed defenseman. And he looked at it and he said, we got a lot of guys who do the same thing. You're going to have to move on from something. But the Cardinals aren't at that point yet. You might have a lot of guys who do the same thing. You might Left-handed have Left-handed hitters that are like kind of power bats that play all over the infield. But right now you don't know it. Yep. And you don't want to trade something that you don't know what you have or move on from it. So I think you start the season as is, trade deadline, you could see some movement once you start to realize what you truly have. Yeah, and I'm with you, and that's a great point that you just made there about the fact that you don't know what you have. You don't know what Juan Yepes is at the Major League level yet, even though he's probably going to start the year in uh, Memphis. At some point, he's going to be up on the big league roster, and at some point, he might be getting some of those DH reps against uh, left-handed pitching. I I do think that will end up being the plan. I just think right now, he's struggled, and Brendan Donovan right now has just beat him out for that roster spot, and... you can figure out the DH spot from there. Maybe now against left-handed pitching, you put DeYoung at DH and you play so such short or vice versa, something like that. Uh, but the point that you don't know what you have, I mean, we had, uh, I can't remember who it was on our station, but someone said that Juan Yepes has 20 to 25 home run pop in his bat. Kylie I, McDaniel. Kylie McDaniel, yeah, thank you. So you don't you don't want to go get an Albert Pujols who, sure, he, he has pop, he can still play. But if you get him, then you don't know what you're going to have in that one in Juan Yepes when he does get that call up to the major leagues because of that flexibility that you're talking about. I agree with BK. They're probably going to go 15 pitchers to start things out. They could maybe, if they wanted that roster flexibility, you could cut back on a pitcher. But how much we're hearing out of camp about how these pitchers aren't going to be ready, that just doesn't make sense. So because of kind of what it was last year where it was roster flexibility, I just don't know if an Albert Pujols signing makes sense. I would love to see it. It'd be awesome to see the guy that I grew up watching that got me invested into baseball where the Cardinal bat one more time and go out with Yachty and Wayno, but from a baseball perspective, it just doesn't make a whole lot of sense. Yeah, I just don't think they've got the flexibility to do it right now with their roster. I, I think that from everything that we've heard from Ollie Marmol, flexibility is going to be key this year, and that includes in the lineup. That includes with the bullpen. I was reading earlier today, there was a great piece by Derek Gould on how Ollie Marmol plans to utilize his bullpen, and he was talking about how, hey, we don't really have a closer going into the year. I mean, if we had to name one, sure, it would be Giovanni Gallegos. But Giovanni Gallegos might come in in the seventh inning. If we think that the game could be won or lost based on you got a man on second, there's one out, and the middle of the order's coming up against the Dodgers. We're up by one run. Who are you bringing into that situation? Do you want Ryan Helsley there? Do you want Cody Whitley there? Or do you want to bring in your best guy to get what – possibly could be the most important outs in that situation for Ollie Marmol, at least based on what he's saying right now. And we'll see if he actually does this when the bullets start flying. He says that he's going with his best guy. He's going to go with Giovanni Gallegos in that type of a situation. I trust him right now because I have no reason not to. So if he's going to do that, if he's going to go with the, the line change type of mentality that we saw from the giants a year ago, and it seems like that's the route that he's going to go. They want a lot of flexibility. They are very right-handed heavy with their starting lineup. That means you're going to need a good amount of lefties coming off of your bench. That means Gorman at some point this year will likely be up with the big league club. You're going to have Donovan, I think, to start out the year. You've got Dickerson. You've got Newt Barr. That is more lefty pop, lefty power coming off of your bench than this team has had in a long time. And it does allow for some of that roster flexibility that, They seem to believe in. I always tell you, I've said this a million times this week, actions speak louder than words. The actions of the Cardinals this offseason tell me they believe their manager will actually utilize the talent that they're giving them to use that flexibility. In the past, 
their words have said, we're going to be super flexible. We're going to go with the matchups. We're going to do this and that. And then you would look at the roster and you'd be like, none of those actions of you acquiring players fit the words that you have told me. They were right-handed heavy for years, and they never actually went out there and got the talent that would allow them to play the matchup game. This year they have. This year they do have that kind of talent, both coming up from AAA and also the guy that they acquired with Corey Dickerson as a big league player. So I don't think they're going to do that because they, I don't think they're going to acquire Albert Pools because I don't think he fits into the mentality of what they're trying to accomplish right now. Yeah, it's a copycat league, and you see what the Dodgers have done over the last couple of years with Chris Taylor. You saw what the Braves did last year with their roster players. That's the way the league goes, and it doesn't make sense to have all of these players, pitching and position player-wise, and then say, but we're going to go get Albert Pujols and have our right-handed pitcher DH and our left-handed pitcher DH when you have all of these options that you can be flexible with. Is it going to work? I have no idea. And I don't know if Ali Marmol does. I think he believes it will. But for right now, this is the direction they want to go. And again, you've got to figure out what you have before you start moving it. That's the one fault of the Cardinals when it came to Luke Voigt and Randy Arozarena. They didn't, and Patrick Wisdom. They didn't give them the proper chance to show what they truly had. Now I think you're getting the opportunity to do that with I this. I think what you're more likely to see if they do end up platooning that DH spot, I bet you on those days where they have a, a lefty coming out on the uh, on the mound, I think you'll see Sosa at shortstop and you'll see uh, Paul DeYoung at DH on those days. And that's how you get the right-handed bat into the lineup. I know people don't want to hear it, but I think that's the way that it's going to be. I think that's what they will do is they'll have, because that gets your better defender out there, in my opinion, at least defensively. And then you've got the power bat in their mind coming in as your designated hitter and Paul DeYoung. I think that's the way they'll utilize it. And maybe there's some other days where instead of going with Paul DeYoung as your DH, it's you have Edmundo Sosa playing third and Nolan Arenado gets a day out of the field and he's going to be your DH that day. And you just you throw as many righty bats into the lineup as you possibly can. And then when it's a righty on the mound, which is about 70% of the time, you're going to have that lefty bat in there. And Corey Dickerson, maybe eventually it's Nolan Gorman getting some opportunities. You'll probably start see Lars Newbar get some uh, starts out there. Maybe he gets some starts in the outfield on those days as well. I think that's probably what you're going to end up seeing. And, and the NL Central is very right-handed heavy, if I'm not mistaken. Mm-hmm. So you are going to see a lot of those left-handed guys. But I'm glad I'm glad you did say that you think DeYoung could be the DH because that's what I that's what I just said. And someone on the text line said I was smoking something. So I'm glad Whoa. to know that I'm not on the I'm not the only one that thinks that. But that's another. It doesn't option mean that too. I like it, but I think that's what they're going to do. I, I think it's what they're going to do as well. And I didn't even think of the potential of, especially as you get later on in the year, of potentially pulling a right-handed bat out of the lineup and putting someone out like like you said, playing Sosa at third, or maybe you play. Uh, Tommy Edmund at third, so it goes to second or whatnot, something along those lines. So, but yeah, I think that's that's the way they're going to do it. Granted, so far I ha- it's hard to read into some of their actions in spring training because it's spring training. We we haven't really gotten some of the talks that we've heard of. You know, like uh, the lineup having other guys hit leadoff. It's been pretty much Tommy Edmund. Carlson's hitting leadoff today, but there's no Tommy Edmund in the lineup. So I haven't seen anything yet. It's going to come down to the regular season. I understand that. I- I'll be very curious to see though if they actually do come through this season. One last thing to say on this. I was listening to Ben Fredrickson earlier today. He was on Scoops with Danny Mac, his podcast, ScoopsWithDannyMac.com is where you find it. And he said that, and I found this really interesting. According to the sports science stuff that the Cardinals have done, they have found that players that spend at least seven consecutive days in the lineup while playing in the field, their 
their production starts to level off and decrease starting at that eighth straight day that they're in the lineup. That's where the fatigue, according to their science, starts to set in. So my assumption would be, based upon that, what you'll see this year is maybe it's five straight days that Arenado gets to play in the field, and then on that sixth day, he'll be out of the lineup as your designated hitter. And the same thing could be true this year of a Paul Goldschmidt. And so if you see that this year, where you're like, why aren't they playing that guy at first base? Why aren't they playing Nolan Arenado at third base? That doesn't give you your best defense. What the Cardinals will very likely say is that we agree with you. They give you our best defense out there, but it's diminishing returns if we continue to play them out there every single day. How many times did we talk about this with Matt Carpenter, where by July, he's having to sit out of the lineup like completely because he's so just exhausted mentally, physically, that he can't play anymore. And his bat starts to give you diminishing returns, and down the stretch, he just completely falls apart that was de young so, in 2019 remember 20, yeah. his all-star season he started off really well and then when he fell off in that second half what was the card what did paul de young say and what did the cardinals say well i hadn't really done a full 180 or 162 game season i hadn't prepared i went basically full sprint in the first half and by the second half i was exhausted and they didn't give him really any days off i think he had three days off in 2019 so that's what you're talking about and that's what you'll see probably from the cardinals so remember when you heard Ali Marmol, when he was introduced, say they've got so many of these departments that he's going to try to utilize. They've got so much information that he's going to utilize. He mentioned you've got the analytics, you've got the sports science, you've got the med- all of these different things. This is that that's in action what he's talking about, where he takes the information that he's getting from analytics. Okay, here are the matchups. He's taking the information that he's getting from the sports science. Okay. Five straight days is our max that we're going with in terms of playing in the field and being in the lineup every day. All right, cool. I can go ahead and now start scheduling out what this is going to look like where one day it's Paul DeYoung that's coming out of the lineup. He's going to be our DH that day. One day it's going to be Nolan Arenado. All right, we've got a lefty on the mound. We're going to put Edmundo Sosa at third. We're going to have Nolan Arenado as the DH that day. And then the next day it's going to be Paul Goldschmidt. And then you have maybe a three-day stretch where it's Cole Dickerson. Every day, it's going to be a little something different. So that way, on a day-in, day-out basis, he is maximizing the possible output out of your lineup. I wonder if That's you see what he's less injuries in a season if you're doing that, too. I wonder if you see less injuries for a guy like Tyler O'Neill, Harrison Bader, if you're not focusing as much on that. It's possible. It's possible. And that's what they're hoping. That's what they believe will yeah. come out of something like this. And then we, the, the proof's going to be in the pudding. We're going to find out this year what it looks like. And we'll also find out this year if he's actually able to stick to that Right. As the games start playing and as Nolan Arenado says, I don't want to be out of the lineup. I want to play every day. That's where things get really tough. And that's when we're going to find out what Ali Marmol is really made of. Coming up in about 10 minutes or so, Mike Petriello of MLB Network and MLB.com joins us to talk about what I thought was a ridiculous list on MLB Network yesterday. They broke down the top 10 left fielders in baseball. Alex, they didn't even have Tyler O'Neill at number uh, in the top five. Okay, well, that list doesn't make sense. We'll talk about that with Mike Petriello coming up in about 10 minutes or so. The Junk Shore coming up next. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Let's open it up. The Junk Drawer with BK and Ferrario. There are certain things about this state that just don't make any sense, Alex. We call it Nevada, Missouri, instead of Nevada. Well, you don't want them to confuse it with Vegas. There's Versailles, I think, instead of Versailles. Well, this isn't French. 
there's just certain things that don't make a whole lot of sense. We people call it party far instead of 44. People in the state think trading away a Pro Bowl, Super Bowl caliber wide receiver is okay <laughs> for nothing. Yeah. It's I-64, but we all call it 40 because that's what it was once upon no, a time. 60 far farty. <laughs> there, call it dishwasher. There's just some things Tarlet. about St. Louis nope. and the state of Missouri in general that people that aren't from here, they don't understand. And so last night as I was watching the Blues game, one of those moments took place. Let's go ahead and take a listen to Steve Levy. Hi there, Steve Levy with uh, Mark Messier and Hillary Knight. It is 3-2. The Flyers lead the Blues after 40 minutes of play. On behalf of everyone here at the network, I want to apologize to all fans in St. Louis and Blues fans everywhere. Earlier tonight, I made the horrific mistake of calling it fried ravioli instead of toasted. And my deepest and sincerest apologies. I've had plenty. I ought to know. I think they're fried and then toasted. Please don't at me anymore. And if you want to at me at Twitter, it's uh, at John Butchergrass, okay? <laughs> fried ravioli? What are we doing here, Steve? Look, I love you, man. You've been in St. Louis. You were here for the Stanley Cup Finals against Boston a few years ago. But fried ravioli? No. I got to be honest. I've never heard anybody call that before. That's a new one even for me. And you can't even argue that it's it's fried it's toasted, my man. <laughs> it is toasted ravioli. It has been here forever, and it's going to outlive all of us. It's like Twinkies. It will outlast the apocalypse. Toasted ravioli. I, he should have apologized on air for that. When you heard that at the very beginning, I was like, oh, God, what did Steve Levy do? Like, did did he say somebody was dead? Here's a deep fly to left field. I I really didn't know what was coming next. When you hear an apology like that, that's the kind of thing you're expecting. Yeah, is something uh, something horrific. Yeah. Instead, instead it, it was it was it was something horrific. horrific. I mean, technically, <laughs> it was very horrific for what he did. It's just horrific to St. Louis people. T Bone, you're an Illinois guy. Yes, sir. But you love toasted ravioli. You know it's it's impactful on people's lives. I don't know about that much, but St. Louis style pizza, gooey butter cake. Toasted ravs, pork steaks. pork steaks. You can't mess with those no. things. Seltzers. Those are St. That's not a St. Louis thing. Yeah, it is. They make it at the brewery. Seltzers. Every brewery makes seltzers. No, but not, not, not like Anheuser-Busch does. Represent. Alongside Alex Ferrario and Xander Hendricks, and I'm Brandon Kiley. Coming up in get 15 it, minutes, we'll get into the college basketball tournament from last night. Coach K, there's nothing like him, and there's not probably never going to be another thing like him in the future. We'll do that coming up at 1.15. Mike Petriello of MLB Network next. Oh, my God. I can't believe it. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Mike Petriello is one of my favorite baseball analysts in the country. And Alex, it has been far too long since we've been able to actually talk with him about any baseball because we didn't have baseball for like three months. So right now we are very happy to be joined once again by Mike Petriello of MLB Network and MLB.com. He joins us via the Brown and Crouppen Celebrity Line alongside Alex Ferrario. I am Brandon Kiley. Mike, we appreciate the time as always, man. It is so wonderful to finally be able to talk ball with you again. How are you doing today, my man? Man, you guys thought it was hard for you. At least you could complain about baseball for three months. I just had to keep my mouth shut. It was excruciating. <laughs> That That is a totally fair point. Uh, I felt horrible for everybody that worked at MLB.com, MLB Network. I mean, listen, like we're not out here digging ditches. I get it. Like we've, we are all very blessed with what we do for a living. But man, that had to be miserable for you for three months in New York. 
Yeah, not super fun. I mean, you know, there were times where it was entertaining to dig back into stuff from the distant past. Like, you know, you got to spread your wings a little bit. But uh, at a certain point, I was like, okay, I really need there to be baseball. And I can tell you this, like two days after the lockout ended and the free agency stuff all started happening, my wife comes up to me and she says, hey, you seem a lot less miserable today. And I'm like, yes, <laughs> totally true. <laughs> that that sounds about right. I think we all had something similar to that experience. Mike, what did you sit in front of more? I don't know if you're a video game guy. Did you sit in front of like Major League Baseball, the show on PlayStation, or did you just sit in front of just analytics on baseball <laughs> reference throughout the time there was no baseball? You know what I can tell you I did? I watched hockey, and because I've got two kids under six, I went to bed at 930. <laughs> Oh my Good God! For you. That is my life, <laughs> Mike. I'm the pre and post game host for the Blues, and I have a one year old. I go to bed at eight thirty when there's no Blues games. Uh, well, I got to tell you, as a Devils fan, thanks for sending us John Gillies. I'm not sure how well it's working out. Hey man, he got us a shootout, uh, a shootout loss, and that's one point we needed right now. Alex would have really appreciated you if you would have yeah. sent us Ryan Graves. Yeah, we would have liked Ryan Graves. <laughs> that's neither here nor there. All right, Mike, let's get to the Cardinals. I'm going to start a little open ended because we haven't talked to you in a minute. What do you find most interesting about this team as you're watching them right now in spring training, or you're thinking about what this season's going to look like for the Cardinals? What piques your interest about this team? Uh, you know, two things, really. Uh, first of all, the outfield. I'm pretty sure I was on with you guys, you know, about a year ago when we were talking about the young outfield. And I said, you know, the one thing I really don't like is that they're going in without a veteran bat and they're kind of relying on these three guys to be healthy and successful. And for the first half of the season, it didn't really work, right? There were injuries and rough starts. And then in the second half of the season, it was really, really good. And I think there's more in there from Dylan Carlson. Like, I, I'm not going to go so far as to say this is, you know, the best outfield in baseball or anything, but this could be a top five outfield, you know, which is really, really good. And then you combine that with Goldschmidt and Arenado, and that sort of papers over the questions I think you have at shortstop and yes, behind the plate. I'm sorry to say it. And I think that's really going to help. You know, the second thing is from my point of view, it seems like the thing that Cardinals fans were most angsty about was not getting a big middle infield bat, which I agree would have been very nice. But for me, the biggest risk factor on this team is is pitching. I'm worried about the pitching depth, and I'm really interested to see how that outfield is going to play. With that being said, Mike, how would you grade this Cardinals offseason? Not so much of the moves that they made, but knowing the landscape of the available free agents and names that were out there and the lack of moves that the Cardinals did, how would you grade their offseason? I would grade their offseason – I guess if you put them in the context of all 30 teams, a C minus, if you put them in the context of the rest of their division and a plus, 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 <laughs> you know, cause that's going to help them a lot. Listen, I like Steven Matz. I think he's going to be really interesting because he has almost always played in front of really rotten infield defenses, which is not great for a ground baller. And obviously the St. Louis infield defense is phenomenal, you know? So I think he's really going to be good. I, interesting to get Verhagen, you know, back to the States. Otherwise, like you said, they just didn't do that much. They're rolling it back to some extent, which is always risky. Um, it's kind of hard. You know, you see some of the moves the other teams made trading for Matt Olson and signing Freddie Freeman. Not that the Cardinals are going to get a first baseman, but at that level uh, of stuff, it's hard to see a team like Texas, you know, sign these giant free agents. Cause I don't believe for a second that Texas can afford something that St. Louis can't afford, you know? So it was underwhelming and slightly disappointing, but you know, half the other teams in their division took a giant leap backwards, so they're still in decent shape. 
Let's talk about that rotation because I, I'm fascinated to see what they end up looking like this year in the rotation. They say they're going to be flexible. They're going to do all the modern stuff. They're going to use openers. They're going to do piggyback. All, all of these different things. All of the things that you hear teams say in the offseason, Mike. And then you get into the season. It's like, hey, we've got our five guys. They're going to go five innings. We're going to try to get the win. and <laughs> We're going to go to our bullpen after that. But what are your biggest questions about that rotation? And when you say that you're curious about their depth, you're maybe concerned about their starting depth. Uh, what what's coming to mind there for you? Well, obviously, number one is the health of Jack Flaherty. You know, like that goes without saying. I think he still has what it takes to be like the really top ace we saw a couple years ago. But now it's been a couple seasons since then, and he's already got you know shoulder injuries, and it's it's uncertain what you get from him this year. You know, so that is a big blow. Then your remaining guy at the top of the rotation is Adam Wainwright, and I'm not going to say a single bad thing about Adam Wainwright <laughs> the way he's pitched the last couple of years. I personally, I want him to pitch forever because he's three weeks older than I am, and I want somebody like that to always exist. But the fact is, you know, he's going to be 41 years old. That is that is not necessarily the age where you can look at, at a pitcher and say, okay, I'm very confident I'm getting 190 innings. I mean, if anybody can do it, he can. It doesn't change the fact that he's going to be 41 years old. And then you look at the guys behind him. You know, Hudson is coming off a major injury. Michaelis is coming off, you know, an injury-plagued season. I don't know what you get out of Verhagen. And then the guys behind that, you know, Woodford's okay, I guess. And Matt's is like, it's fine. You know, but if Wainwright starts pitching like a 41-year-old, then Steven Matz is your ace. And I don't think that's kind of the position a contending team wants to be in. So, Mike, uh, I think a lot of Cardinals fans, they saw the names that were available free agency, and, and there weren't a whole lot out there that made people excited. But a lot of fans have gotten excited about the two available pitchers over in Oakland, Sean Manaya and Frankie Montas. Are you surprised that the Cardinals haven't made a move to help that pitching because of the Jack Flaherty injury? Uh, in terms of those two guys, I'm surprised that nobody has made a move because it's not just St. Louis, right? Like Minnesota desperately needs one of those guys. The Yankees could really badly use one of those guys. Now, a couple other teams. So I'm surprised that Oakland doesn't seem to have gone you know, full teardown. They're still holding on to some of them, and that's a little bit surprising to me. The move I think that the Cardinals should have made is, is they need upside, I think. You know, you've got a lot of guys who I think could probably give you 50, 60, 70, like decent innings. They don't have anyone outside of Flaherty who I think is really like got ace upside. And I would have loved to see them go after Carlos Rodon. And I know he's hurt a lot, but when he's healthy, he is one of the best pitchers in baseball. I think that would have really been the move that would have set them apart this winter. Can I tell you why I, I'm going to, I'm going to play devil's advocate here, Mike. The one thing Ooh. that I had concerned about here, because I, I will full disclosure, Alex said the same thing. And I said, I, I actually don't think they can make that move. I think they have so much built-in concern with injuries inside of their rotation right now. I don't know that they could have taken on another one of those guys. And that's why I preferred like the Steven Matz type of a deal on a guy that over the last few years at least has been super uh, durable. If you get Rodon and it breaks down for you, it could go really far south. And now you've got $22 million that's going towards a guy that's not in your rotation. Yes and no. I, I, I do agree with what you're saying, but I think going into this the offseason – St. Louis very much needed two starters, you know, not just one. So if you wanted to split it and say, okay, I want the reliable but low upside kind of guy in Steven Matz, like that's great. That works out perfectly. The second guy to me should be someone who, if things go right, can really give you that upside, who can start the first game or two of a playoff series. And I, I agree, you know, if he gets hurt, it's $22 million, but it's only a two-year deal. 
And the Cardinals didn't really spend much else this winter. They can certainly afford it, you know? So I really think that would have been the fit that they could have gotten. Instead, they went with Verhagen, who is probably, you know, lesser upside than Matt's is. I just, I understand why Cardinals fans are maybe nonplussed about it all. On the offensive side for things, Mike, uh, a lot of people in St. Louis are expecting big things from their younger players, guys like Wanya Pez, Nolan Gorman, um, a, a player who's emerged in spring training, Brennan Donovan. Do you think that's the proper way to go? I know the NL Central's not in a good place right now, but relying on these younger players when you got teams like the Dodgers and the Giants and the Padres and the Braves and the Phillies, could the, could the Cardinals be zigging while the other teams are zagging? You know, I'm surprisingly okay with it. I know everybody wanted... Uh, you know, a big time infielder like Corey Seeker, right? Would have been obviously the best fit. I don't think that the Cardinals should have gone out and topped a 10 year, $325 million contract. You know, if that's what he can get, then great. I'm not going to give the Cardinals a hard time for not matching that. What about the Carlos Correa deal though? Well, I think that's a fair point, but then I think that's true of about 25 other teams in baseball looking at that deal and saying, wait, how come we couldn't get him for that? (laughs) So it's true. How did the twins pull that off where nobody else could? Um, it's a stunner, and I don't have a good answer to that. And then you look at the way the rest of their roster is is positioned. Clearly, they're set in corner infield. They're not going to get a first baseman or a third baseman. Pretty set in the outfield. You know, I really liked the Corey Dickerson signing as a DH fourth outfielder veteran type. I like that a lot. But they were not going to go get a everyday starting caliber outfield. And that left the middle infield. And yeah, there are a lot of shortstops out there. But if you weren't going to pay more for Seager or Simeon, which I don't really think they were going to, I didn't really love the idea of Javi Baez as a fit. You know, I like him better with the younger team um, that's willing to deal with more variance that, that the Tigers are. I'm not sure there are actually great options for them, despite the fact that there were a lot of shortstops available. Now, if Paul DeYoung goes out and has a poor first six weeks, and now this is like the third year in a row, he doesn't look that great. <laughs> you can roll this back and say, Mike, you're, you're a big fat idiot, but um, I kind of understand where they're going here. All right. We'll finish things up with this, Mike. We're talking to Mike Petriello, baseball writer and analyst for MLB.com and MLB network. You can follow him on Twitter at Mike underscore Petriello. I wanted to get your thoughts on the Phillies. I find them to be fascinating. I would not build a team the way that they are building a team. It's like a beer league softball team where they're just trying to slug their way into contention. What do you make of them? What do you find interesting about the Phillies going into this year? I mean, I'll be interested to watch them mash homers like it's a home <laughs> under every night. Absolutely, for sure. That team is going to be a lot of, of fun. Uh, I don't know. I'm not sure a Phillies fan with a heartburn issue because you're going to get a lot of that. What stands out to me is if you look at their bullpen, right, and the bullpen for them, even more than the defense, has been such a massive problem over the last couple of years. So they said, okay, we're going to go and try to fix this bullpen. And they have gotten a whole bunch of, like, one year veterans who are like guys you remember, you know, like, Oh, it's Corey Cable. Oh, it's Brad hand. You know, it's, Oh, jury's familiar. And those guys have talent and they've had long careers, but they are so like a high wire act in the best of times. And you're going to put those guys in that ballpark in front of those fans in front of that defense. And I, I worry about Joe Girardi's health for the rear. Honestly, that is just going to be a whole lot to watch in the late innings. They look like a dangerous team. And then, of course, the, there's the Dodgers. Mike, are the Dodgers still the most dangerous team in baseball? Oh, absolutely, yes. The funny thing is uh, I don't actually think they are as talented as they were at the end of last year, you know, because I liked the version of the Dodgers with Max Scherzer and Corey Seager <laughs> and Kenley Jansen better than I do now. 
And for most teams, you lose guys like that. And you say, oh, man, we're really going to take a step back. For them, it's, oh, okay, we'll just go sign Freddie Freeman. It's, <laughs> it's fine. We're going to be fine. And then you look at their division, uh, all the respect in the world to San Francisco for what they did last year, you know, outplaying any expectation. And I think a lot of it's real. I don't think it's necessarily a fluke or something that can't be repeated. But they lost a lot of players. You know, you can't replace Buster Posey. They are not going to win 107 games again. You know, they could be 12 games worse and still be a 95-win team, which kind of points in the direction of the Dodgers being like, hey, it's going to be a little bit easier for us. I don't think you're going to have that Giants team going nuts. The Padres are a little lesser without Tatis and forget the other two teams entirely. So not only are the Dodgers the best team in baseball, they're going to have an easier path this year too. Mike, we'll get you out of here on this. I'm curious. If I told you right now you could take over any baseball team, you become the new GM, president of baseball operations, you're in charge of their their, their baseball side of things now, which one would you want to be in charge in starting now and then moving forward? And you can take that in any, any direction. Man, that is a really, really good and complicated question. I think I would say... You know, I don't want to start with somebody really good, the Yankees or the Mets, or, or, or not the Mets, the Yankees or the Dodgers, right? Because then if I win, what credit do I get? I'm I'm building off of what somebody else did. So I think what I want to do is I want to be the guy who takes over, you know, the Rockies or the Mariners and says, hey, these are cool places to live. You guys haven't won anything forever. I'm going to help you win. And then you get parades through downtown forever. That's what I want. He's Mike Petriello, one of the best in the business. I always love talking baseball with him. Mike, thanks so much for joining us today, man. Appreciate the time as always. Enjoy watching actual baseball. We've got the Cardinal spring training game on right now. This is wonderful, and we'll talk with you again soon. Thanks a lot, guys. Take care. You got it. That's Mike Petriello here on 101 ESPN. I got the sense that Mike is kind of optimistic about the Cardinals. Like, all, all kidding aside about the, the rotation, and I think all of us agree for what it's worth with him. Like, if they could have gone out there and signed another guy for, whether it be 10 to $15 million or $20 million going out and Carlos, getting Carlos Rodon, if you could sign that guy and they had the money to do so and were willing, I'm in favor of it. It was more about their, their resources and how they were going to use them as to why I was against it. If you told me, like, hey... Instead of getting Drew Verhagen, you can have Carlos Rodon. And that's the only switch that you make on this roster? I'm in. Count me in right now. I'm very much here for that. But I was under the impression at the time that they had like $15 million to spend. And how do you divvy that up? I would rather divvy it up more towards the bats. Ultimately, I was proven wrong, and they just didn't have very much money, apparently, to spend. Or at least that's what they felt going into that time. So that's why I was down at the time. I liked what he said about the outfield. Do you think this is a legit, like, do they have a chance this year to be the best outfield in baseball? Tanner, I want to get you in on this as well. If you're taking defense into consideration on top of offense, I think they do. I think so as well, because I don't know if you can name a better trio that can have the potential offensively and defensively. You can probably name a couple of outfields that are as good offensively, but considering you've got guys that Harrison Bader, Tyler O'Neill. Tyler O'Neill's won back-to-back gold gloves. Harrison Bader just won his first of many to come. And honestly, Dylan Carlson's going to be a gold glove caliber right fielder, in my opinion. And he's only going to take a couple of steps uh, further with his bat. Bader made the adjustments to breaking balls. He hit right-handed pitching better last year. And Tyler O'Neill, I mean, the guy's got 40 home run potential. And not only that, you can add into the speed that these guys, that Bader and uh, O'Neill can be 20 stolen base guys. And honestly, Dylan Carlson could be a 10 stolen base guy. So they have the potential to be a top five outfield in Major League Baseball. Absolutely, I think they do. Granted, everything has to go right and they can't be taking steps back. I mean, you got the potential for 
75, 80 home runs combined between those three, and then also combined two, maybe three gold gloves. I can't think of a better outfield. Offensively, a lot of people are going to say Phillies, but that defense is going to be oh, awful. So bad, dude. And, man, I'm, uh, I don't. I don't know if there's anybody in the American League that I would say I'd rather have that outfield. It's kind of wild, though, right? Because, like, everything's been leading to this moment. Well, yeah, considering two years ago we were talking about trading two of the three guys. And everything over the last, really, five to ten years has been, how do you fix the outfield? How do you fix the outfield? And they finally have it fixed. And so now we've kind of moved on to the next thing. How do you fix shortstop? Right. <laughs> How do you fix the Lewis. rotation? Alongside Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kiley. 65780 is the air cover service X side. We'll get to one's got to go coming up in about 10 minutes or so. But we're going to react to last night's game in the NCAA tournament. And Coach K moving on to the Elite Eight once again, coming up here on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Brackets doing. Wop, wop, I don't want to talk about mine. Uh, How many of your final four teams are still remaining? One. One. Houston, I think. I've got one. It's UCLA, and there's a good chance they end up losing tonight. Well, not well, feeling good about this, boys. Yeah. I think I'm going to rip mine up and just hope for upsets moving forward. How are you guys feeling about that? I'm oh. down to support St. Peter's to a championship. This is how it works. As soon as my bracket's over, I want pure chaos. So I want everyone's brackets to be ruined now. So <laughs> last night in the NCAA tournament, there were, first of all, some excellent games, some really entertaining games, and some big-time upsets as well. Houston just overwhelmed Arizona from start to finish, looked like the better team in that game. And Tanner, I told you before the tournament, I'm telling you once again, I feel bad for your Illini because they got screwed. They got screwed by having one of the five to ten best teams in the country that had to be in their region, and they were a five seed. It was completely unfair to Illinois. Arkansas won an ugly game against Gonzaga. Gonzaga averages like 85 points per game this year, Alex. They scored 68 in that one. I don't know that Arkansas played a great game. Uh, what's his face? Note was just chucking up everything. Note was okay. That was pretty no. good. No, thank you. He finished the game with 29 shot attempts. 29. He was 2 for 12 from 3. Yeah, but how many of them were high danger shot attempts like we <laughs> like to talk about in basketball? Or what, what, what not is a the, lot. Not a lot. What is the no. stat? It's, it's, it's good shot attempts compared to average shot attempts or something like that. There are a lot of bad shot attempts. Stupid, stupid statistics. And then Duke down by two with two minutes to go and they score. I think it was the final seven, uh, seven points in that one going down the stretch uh, leading up to Texas Tech, finally making it a little closer than it really was at the end. What was your guys' biggest takeaway from the games last night? Villanova won against Michigan, but that one was never particularly interesting to me. <laughs> like coaches, Villanova won, but they, they don't matter. They're not good. My takeaway, I... I Guys, I think Duke's winning the championship this year, all because of Coach K. Like, just watching that game against uh, Texas Tech, and I thought Texas Tech, here's a heads up, they were one of my final four teams, which, gone now. Same. But I thought Texas Tech was going to be the toughest team along with Gonzaga, and both of those teams lose. I know Arkansas can be a tough team to play. Like, they, they just have that, they have that workman's mentality, but I also think they beat Gonzaga with a little help from the officiating. I think Duke just has the recipes right now to at least get to the national championship, 
get past Arkansas, then you're going to have to play against whoever wins later in this one. I think they have a pretty decent pass to get to a national championship, whereas the other sides, I think, have a lot more of a challenge on their hands. Yeah, I, I like what I saw from Duke, and, and I'm with you. I, I think they've got kind of that, I don't know if you can call it a Cinderella story, but the kind of that final farewell with A. Yeah. But, cause, and they've got five guys that are lottery picks. I mean, last night they were struggling, and then just their talent took over. So they can they can play that way. The other one for me is, I mean, it's got to be Houston. I, I mean, yes, they were underseeded, but... Man, that team can do everything right. They are they are smaller than Arizona. They were smaller than the Illini, and they dominated the offensive boards. They were rebounding well. They play solid defense, and, and offensively, they can hang with anybody. I, I mean, if you're not impressed with what Houston's doing, I mean, I don't know what you're watching. I mean, they're a team that could legitimately I, – I think it's Stoltz. I, when I was looking at brackets on 101ESPN.com, I think it's Stoltz had Houston going to the championship – in either losing or winning in the championship. And at the time when I saw that, winning. yeah, at the time I saw that, I was like, okay, look, they're good. They're topping 10 in offense and defense on Kempom. But they, I just didn't have the guts to do it. Yeah, it's embarrassing. Okay. I have Houston losing <laughs> I to told Gonzaga. Tanner he's got to watch out because Houston's this unbelievable team. They're so good. And I just, I trusted Arizona and I was wrong for doing so. Never trust Arizona, never trust Gonzaga. Yeah. That's on me. I have Houston losing to Gonzaga and I'm so frustrated with myself. Well, that didn't work out well. No, it did not. But hey, I think I got Houston, one. I think I like if I were redoing the bracket today, I'd have Houston. I would have Houston coming out of their their region and ultimately going to the national championship. See, I still They'll, like Villanova over them. Really, I, oh, I no. think Villanova. If you the way they play, they slow the game down. Which granted, that may not benefit you when you're going up against Houston. But they take quality shots and they shoot well from the free throw line. And they've and they've played really well in all three of the games that they've had to play up to this point. I think Villanova is the favorite to come off. And I had them going to the fi- uh, finals when I made my original bracket. I still think they're the favorite to come from that right right side of the bracket. I find what's happening with Duke to be fascinating. We just got this text, 65780 is the Air Comfort Service text line from the 636. Guys, legend should always ride off into the sunset. I'm really excited. Go Coach K. Amen. Has Duke, who is typically the villain in these types of situations, they're nobody's underdog. Let's get this straight. Duke has like four lottery picks on this team. This is not some scrappy underdog like St. Peter's that somehow made it to the Sweet 16. This is Duke where they recruit exclusively blue blood type of talent, blue chip types of talent, and it's Coach K. Are they now the team that everybody is rooting for? And I'm not saying you're wrong for doing so. I get it. Coach K going off into the sunset is a really cool story, and his team has shown a lot of grit, a lot of fight. They've been a lot of fun to watch in this tournament so far. Have they become the favorite like in terms of just sentimentality? This in this tournament right now? Yeah, because it's the final ride of Mike Krzyzewski. It's the final, it's the final big name. And we were talking about this before. Mike Krzyzewski is the biggest name in college basketball. Has been the biggest name in college basketball for some time. And it's his final rodeo with Duke. And I think the other reason why people are picking them as the quote unquote upset, which Tanner, you said it, I said it earlier. They're a number two seed. Like there's no way they're an upset, but. Every year, Duke goes in and has those blue buds, blue bloods, and every year, Duke loses in the first or second round, and they ruin brackets because everyone's like, oh, Mike Krzyzewski, you got these lottery picks. Of course they're going to go all the way, and they lose. So I think there's a little bit of, I think there's a little bit of uh, sentimentality that's going into it with Mike Krzyzewski of, 
It's his final rodeo. You got these players. Duke's a number two seed. We'll want to see them go all the way because there's no other favorites in there. Yeah, I, I think that's it. I mean, because it's Coach K's last ride. Look, everybody's probably going to be rooting for St. Peter's because who doesn't love a 15 seed? And look, them getting to the Sweet 16 is just an awesome story. They're, they're probably going to go down tonight against Purdue. Nobody ever looks at a seed like that's 15, 14, 16, anything higher than 11. Nobody really looks at it as a team that's going to end up winning a national championship. So, yeah, I think you then pick out what's the best story, and the best story left in the tournament is Coach K. It would have been Gonzaga. Gonzaga probably would have competed with that for a minute because of Mark Few and how, how much success he's I had at Gonzaga. I can't watch that kid anymore. I'm so glad he's done. I'm so glad he's Who? done. Oh. I understand he's a really good player. I, I do Who? not enjoy watching him play basketball. But, but like, he Chet. Oh, I didn't like Drew Timmy. I didn't see any of those mustache wipes, did I, Drew? He was like the best player in the tournament, even he though they got eliminated. Yeah, but I, I think like Gonzaga would have been one of those cry. stories because of how great success Mark Fuse had, but he's never won a national championship. Yeah. So it would have come down to those two. People would have picked uh, Duke because Coach K's final ride. But that, that's I think that's they're the only story left. I mean, I can't look at anybody else. Look, UCLA's kind of a good story because they've got veteran leadership. But then the rest, like today— Iowa State's a pretty damn good story. They won two games last year in the entire season, and now they're in the yeah, Sweet 16. They're I, losing to Miami by eight points tonight. I mean, they're, they're, they're an 11 seed. They're not, they're not like a sexy team. Like I didn't even like the two wins. Like I would not have known that until you mentioned it to me. I think when we started picking the, it's one of the greatest turnarounds in the history of college basketball. If they end up getting to the elite eight, which is entirely possible, they're going up against Miami. They've got a pretty good draw. If they go up against Miami, they they win that one. They're probably going to play KU in the elite eight. Like there's a legitimate chance that Iowa state goes from two wins a year ago to the final four. That's insane. My, that's, a, that's a really cool story. My nine-game parlay says that that's not possible. Miami's winning that game <laughs> by eight. 65780 is the air comfort service text line. One's got to go coming up next. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast. Presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. This is BK and Ferrario. Time now for One's Gotta Go. We offer up the talking points, and you get to pick which one's gotta go on 101 ESPN. Count that, that big pan. 65780 is the Air Comfort Service text line. You give us four options. We will tell you which one's got to go. It is time for One's Got to Go here on 101 ESPN alongside Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson. I am Brandon Kylie. Let's start out with this one. One's Got to Go Video Game Edition. Madden, NBA 2K, FIFA, or MLB The Show. Alex, which one's got to go? FIFA's got to go. What? Yeah, I don't like FIFA. Really? really? Yeah. Never liked FIFA. Maybe it's because I'm awful at it. I'm not sure. But Probably never yet. liked FIFA. Probably only played it like two or three times in my life. That one, I think, is number two for me on this list. I would go NBA 2K1 and FIFA number two. I'm getting rid of MLB The Show, personally. <sighs> Not a big Unpopular fan opinion. of MLB The Show. Why is that? Not as you're a nerd with baseball. Definitely. I'm why a baseball would, guy. Why wouldn't you like to play baseball? You try and be GM all the time. I think baseball video games are the hardest to make really fun. 
I think basketball is super easy. FIFA it moves quickly. Baseball moves too slowly in video game form, in my opinion, to make it a. Keep really, yeah, buttons. I was gonna say you can hit the button, so you don't have to like see the pitcher walk around yeah, the mound. Make it to and where all the that. game goes no. quick, man. Madden, oh, no. NBA 2K, DK FIFA. Wants I'm keeping all three of those over MLB The Show. Look, I I love MLB The Show. I love I love all these. Honestly, based on the last one that came out, I'm getting rid of NBA 2K because NBA what? 2K22 sucks. Sucks. Get all the way out of here. Oh, the last it's NBA bad. 2K 2K game that was good was 2K18. Okay. That was that's the actually, last good that's one. actually kind of accurate because I think that was the one I had until I got 22. Yeah, that was the one where like you actually go through a GM mode. Like this one's terrible. 65780 is the air covered service tax line for one's got to go. One got to go final moment edition. A walk-off home run in baseball. Oh, I thought we are doing a different final moment. A double overtime win in college basketball. Game-winning shot. A shootout win in the NHL. Or winning a golf tournament on a multiple-hole playoff. Ooh. This is easy. Um, walk-off homer. Go ahead, Tebow. Game-winning shot in double overtime. A shootout win in the NHL. Or winning a golf tournament on a playoff. Get rid of the lame shootout win, score the goal thing, whatever. So That's, That's kind of so blah. Too. We're all on the same page yeah. here. I think so, too. The others are so much more exciting. You kind of skate in, you shoot. It's just a skills competition. That's not much yeah. compared now, to the other three. Now, if that would have been an overtime game different winner story. In, over, in playoffs, that would have been number one. But a shootout, yeah, that's that's too lame. There's no energy that goes with that like the other three where you just charge with celebration. I think the walk-off home run and the o- double overtime college basketball win are clearly the top two in this. I'd agree. I, I think the multi-hole playoff win in golf is pretty damn awesome. If you were to add in, instead of being a shootout, it's winning in overtime, though, in a, in a playoff game for the NHL. That's number one. I think I would probably get rid of the golf one, but I think that's just because I'm not as big of a golf guy. Yeah, but that golf, man, that's still pretty exciting. Like, it's so funny how boring golf is to watch, but then, like, on that last hole, like, I'll never forget watching Tiger Woods win the Masters on that last hole in the red, you know, the the him pumping his fist, which I know he does a lot, but... I was excited. I, I feel like you're the guy after you get done with the 18th hole, you like grab the golf ball and take your hat off and like wave to nobody. <gasps> no, I'm the guy that after the 18th hole, I chuck my club at the golf cart and hope oh, it breaks. Okay. That checks out. 65780 is your comfort service tax line. One's got to go flavored vodka edition. This is right up Alex's alley. Uh, <laughs> Lemon, raspberry, peach, or orange? Oh, God. Peach. Peach. Nothing good alcohol with peach in it tastes good like it, it ne- never peach is just an awful flavor See, i love peach as a flavor. candle smell of peach is nasty peaches in general are gross oh, no peaches are good my daughter's starting to eat peaches and it's like oh come on eat something better than this so what they gave her pizza orange peaches what were the other two raspberry or lemon i think i'd get rid of i'd have to say i'd get rid of lemon i wouldn't mind lemon but Oh, no, not as big a fan of how sweet the lemon taste is compared to, like, the raspberry, the orange, and uh, the other one. So I'd, I'd have to get rid of the lemon one. Raspberry can get all the way up out of here. What are you mixing raspberry vodka with? I don't need that in my life. Raspberry vodka sounds awful. It sounds disgusting. I'm out raspberry on that. Raspberry's delicious. Have you ever had a raspberry seltzer? Sure, no. but I don't need a raspberry Wait, vodka. Wait, didn't you have a raspberry seltzer last week and you were like, Ugh. Jerry. Uh, it's Jerry. Uh, Black Jerry. Uh, one's got to go outfield edition. Oh, the man. Cardinals, the Yankees, the Dodgers, or the Astros. So I'll give you these outfields just because we, we haven't gotten into oh, the season yet. Yeah, there's it's a lot the of player Astros. movement. Okay. 
Wow, what a hater. But Who, go ahead. Who's in the Astros out? Michael Brantley, Kyle Tucker, and Chase McCormick yeah, they are can projected go. to be the outfield for the Astros this year. In New York, you've got Joey Gallo, Aaron Judge, and Aaron Hicks for the 15 games that they're all healthy. Whoa. We know the Cardinals outfield. And then in uh, L.A., the Dodgers are projected to have Mookie Betts, Cody Bellinger, and A.J. Pollock this year. Yeah, it's, still the, it's still the Astros. I'd get rid of the Astros one, too. The Yankees, I get they're only playing the 15 games, but when they're healthy, they're elite. So I got to get rid of Houston. And I'll take my chances with Stanton and in the outfield. They're not good without the trash can, so. So the funny thing is, I think the Astros are closer to the Cardinals than you you guys would think. Kyle Tucker is pretty damn good, man. That kid is a stud. Chase McCormick is kind of their version of what they're hoping Harrison Bader is. And then Michael Brantley is kind of their version of uh, what I think Cardinals fans are hoping Dylan Carlson becomes. It's pretty similar in terms of the overall talent to what the Cardinals currently have. I know this might sound crazy. I think I'm getting rid of the Yankees, though. Aaron Judge can't stay healthy. Joey Gallo can't play defense, and all he does is hit home runs. And Aaron Hicks is fine. I think I'm getting rid of the Yankees, and I know that means that I'm getting rid of one of the best players in baseball. I just need to see Aaron Judge stay healthy before I'm going to go ahead and go all in on that guy. Aaron Hicks last year hit 195 for them. He was terrible. So I'm going with the Yankees as my ones gotta go. BK and Ferrario Rewind coming up next. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. It's been great all week giving away a copy of WWE 2K22, PlayStation, Xbox, whatever you've got, we've got it for you right here on BK and Ferrario. It is out now on Xbox One, Xbox X and S, PS4, PS5. It's rated T for Teen. You can also register to win by listening T-Bone, online play it. on the 101 ESPN on. mobile app. Or you can just listen to BK and Ferrario. Here's the way you win right now. 65780 is the Air Comfort Service X line. If you are texter number 101, and you can tell us what the St. Louis staple is that Steve Levy had to apologize for getting wrong last night on the broadcast. Embarrassing. You are the winner of a copy of WWE Sloppy Butter Cake. 22. Finishing things up here on the BK and Ferrario Rewind. If you missed anything from today's show, be sure to check it out on the podcast page. It's all presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers. Alex, I think we probably start or finish where we started today, and that's with the Blues. How concerned are you? Because I know we started today's show, and if they don't get this corrected against the teams that they've got to beat down the stretch, it's going to be a rough end of the season. But uh, what what's your level of concern right now for this Blues Probably team? put it at like a seven because I'm still not too concerned, but it's dropped from what it was before because, I mean, we've just seen this. You know you've only had one time since back in early February, I believe, that the Blues have had two consecutive wins put together. So, I mean, that is a recipe for disaster at this time of the year. I still think they get it fixed. I think that the fact that they play 10 of their last 19 games against playoff caliber opponents benefits this Blues team, but my concern is starting to rise right now because you're you're seeing trends that just aren't good for a postseason run. Tanner, scale of 1 to 10, what's your concern level right now for the Blues? My concern level, I'd say it's not that high still. I'm about where uh, I would put 
what Alex said, where it's you know, seven. There, well, I'd say probably six. I, I think there is some concern, but I, I think they're going to write the ship. I think they are going to turn to Villahuso for a big stretch down down the season. I think they got four back to backs of the last nineteen. I think well, you see four starts out of Jordan Bennington and the rest of the season. They they got to figure it out against these these non playoff teams. I, I think they can write the ship though. I have faith in Craig Berube and the. This team, they are so deep with their forwards that I'm, I'm not too concerned. There is a little bit of concern of just how tight the Western Conference is, though. My medicine kicked in because I did my concern level. Seven out of ten, ten being most concerned, that's not how I feel. I, I, say, don't I, really, thought, I thought you meant I seven really, out of ten out of confidence. I was surprised yeah. when you said seven. I was like, damn, that seems like you're super I, concerned. I and then you went into it, I'm not that concerned. Seven really, seems pretty high, man. I don't really know how I got here with that, so flip that. So I'd go five. You go five. Four. This is not even what a seven was out of that. (laughs) Alex. Yeah, buddy. You get yourself some medicine. Yeah, text line. Start feeling better this weekend. It's just stuffy nose, man. Sinuses. That's all this is. The Blues take on the Carolina (laughs) Hurricanes in what should be one hell of a game tomorrow night. Alex will have your pregame coverage at six. Puck drop for that one (laughs) tomorrow at seven o'clock. My concern level is at a one. I'm over here drinking martinis, guaranteed. BK, you can put it down right now. I'm not talking about the Missouri Tigers basketball team. Oh, that'd be a ten. Oh, that'd be a twelve. Put it down right now. Mark it down. FanDuel Sportsbook. Blues win tomorrow night. Win big. They are bouncing back. The BK bounce back tomorrow night. Blues versus Carolina. Fast line coming up next. You've been listening to the BK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.